like Montel in 94. This is how we do it on CBS Sports. It's the state of combat, and it's back, baby. MMA style. Filling up that syringe. Wow. For injection. With another lethal dose of that performance. Enhancing audio. The Brian Campbell, without question, the voice that you hear. Ready to bring you a loaded show that is guaranteed to leave you impressed. I'm not impressed by your performance. Ew. Uh, yeah, we got a lot to talk about this week, whether it's that hot fire UFC fight night for Taleza card over the weekend and major performances from one Jose Aldo and Marlon Marais. Hey, we have some big things to preview this weekend when we're talking about UFC 234 down under Melbourne, Australia. I know we got a bunch of Aussie listeners. I know I'm saying it wrong. Anyone who listens to the wrestling show, it's Aussie apparently. To me, they're Aussies and we love them. You'll be enjoying that card this weekend. We got a lot of breaking news and such to get into. Hey, we got a big co-host to bring in as well. But before we do, reminder, five-star review, Apple Podcasts, wherever you consume fine audio. You know you know the drill around here. If you see something, say something. Yes, you know, go out there, spread the word. What do you like about the show? What do you want to hear in the show? Look, it's your dance. We do this for free for you. So pay it back, pay it forward. Let's bring in Brandon Wise, the big left tackle, number 6-5 in your scorebook. Number one in your heart, CBS Sports writer and editor, Wise. Big week of MMA this week. Are you fired the heck up? You see, I got my Conor McGregor suit on today. I'm wearing the purple blazer. Yeah. And I got with the little kid matching it, too, with his own purple blazer at the Super Bowl. It's a great week for fight fans everywhere. Break out the red panties. I'm with We're you. rich, baby. Oh, yeah. Well, we are. We are rich, baby. Hey, speaking of that Super Bowl last night, you had a big Super Bowl party at your house. Did you clean things up before you came into the office there? Or did you just leave it? You leave, like, dead bodies on the ground. <laughs> no, I... I had to make sure I cleaned up because we had probably 10 people total in the apartment and it got, it got a little messy. Um, there was a couple of beverages spilled on couches. It was, uh, oh, wow. That's not it was cool. a little, it was some cleanup work this morning, but everything worked out well. We made way too much food like we do every time. We made two, two pots of chili. We definitely only needed one. Your dog rider right now, who is like six foot five like you is, is without question rummaging through that right now. You think he's in a cage? He's not. Dude, he somebody put a cookie cake on the table, turned around to go say hi, and as soon as I looked over, he's already face first in the cookie cake trying to eat the whole thing. I was just like, <laughs> oh, "Wow, wow, that, <laughs> this that guy, is my life now." That guy would do some damage. You mentioned Connor Junior and Senior at the Super Bowl. That video got a lot of traction online. Who's providing Connor McGregor not only with the tickets but the backstage access? He was on the field as Tom Brady was coming out of that tunnel. That's got to be the Kraft family, right? I mean, I think. I think the Crafts are pretty well known as being big MMA supporters, and Did you I'm see pretty the sure interaction between Kraft and Connor there on that tweet. That oh yeah, they're gonna they're gonna definitely get they're gonna do a show in Boston again soon, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Connor there as well. Are we talking about the uh, TD Garden Arena? Or are we talking about the uh, the damn Patriot Stadium there? I mean, can we can we do something crazy? When's the last time that UFC did one of those shows outdoors? It's been a minute. Like the salute the troops, maybe, but I feel like even that's in like a in a hangar, that's like an in airport. A hangar. There's a roof on that. Uh, have they done an outdoor show, a straight up outdoor show in like a damn soccer stadium? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. That I mean, that's got to be the next step, right? If they really want to keep outdoing themselves with these uh, attendance numbers that they brag about all the time with twenty thousand or twenty five thousand, you got to go out. You got to go big. You got to be like uh, 
those comedians that sell out football stadiums. <laughs> no question about it. Uh, why, was I can rap with you this whole time. I can talk more dogs with you, but we're going to have to get into some actual mixed martial. Oh, Holly Holm also at the Super Bowl. Shout out to Holly Holm prepping for a possible return fight that may not happen. We'll get into that shortly, but, uh, she just went through a divorce. She's, she's feeling it. Uh, who provides Holly Holm with tickets? <laughs> you think I know the answer to that? I, I have no idea. Maybe, uh, John Jones's brother? I don't know. Right. That would be my only guess. Hey, she's single now. Those DMs are open if you're. No? Those DMs are open for you, buddy. I'm a married man. I cannot, I cannot move. <laughs> so forward. am I. It is a beautiful aroma that arouses me. All right, uh, it's time to get into things that actually matter, news and the such, and we will do that back after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo. And they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. All right, we got the business behind us, Wise. We got to get into it from the news that happened outside the cage to the business at hand inside of it this past Saturday night, Fortaleza, Brazil. Broski, I want to start right there. For a UFC fight night card, this was an ESPN Plus edition. I'm going to give you the old man East Coast take and say, holy crap, a card, that main card started at 8 was off the air by 1029. I'm a big boxing guy. Boxing started right after that. This was a perfect storm in the new ESPN Plus era that we just don't see. Maybe we got a taste of it back in the UFC on Fox days for those big cards. But I don't even think they were run as efficiently as this one. Is it, you had a, you had a little take on this. Is it just removing the commercials? Is this just make this the most pleasurable experience possible? We are hashtag blessed, Brian. That's all I can say because, my Lord, is that a great change of pace from how things were in the past. I think the commercials, they still do run the commercials in between rounds and after fights, but they're not stretching it to make it like four straight commercials after a fight just to make sure that they get the sponsorship money in. I just think if you're if you're going to make me pay for the subscription – you still need to sell your sponsorships. That's fine. I think that they are doing this so perfectly because they're only giving you one or two commercials every fight, if that. And then it's, let's go. Next guy's up. All right, you're in the cage already. Next, that fight's over. All right, get out of the cage. Let's get the new people in. I, this is how fight sports should be run. Boxing needs to take a note from this because if they, because we were joking about it on Saturday. It's like UFC was like moving at lightning speed. 
whereas the boxing promos on Saturday on ESPN were moving at a snail's pace. Yes. It was just night boxing and day. Boxing on ESPN had way too much time to fill, but they pulled a little okey-doke on us ESPN. They, they put the undercard of that top rank boxing Sergey Kovalev card on free TV to then tease you to watch the two really good fights at midnight Eastern on ESPN Plus. And then they ended up having an early knockdown and a knockout and had like an hour to fill. So that it would explain that weird pacing. But to get one fight after another, you know what it reminds me of? You ever go to like a Bellator live event and they have the post card, which is after, you know, Bellator events are typically great because that, that Paramount Network or Spike TV or whatever you want to call it, it's a tight window as well. That, that, that's set up to be a two hour broadcast in and out. So. When they're done, it's early, and they still have all those bottom-of-the-barrel undercard fights involving all local fighters, and those things are always horrifically matched in terms of ability. They always end with somebody getting maimed, and the second somebody's body gets dragged out, the next two guys are already in the cage ready to go. These plus cards are starting to feel like that. Yes, and like I said, this is exactly the way that we were hoping this would go, and... Thank you, ESPN, for actually delivering on what fans have been asking you guys to do for the longest time. Because, like we were talking about before, like we would have been sitting there on Saturday night in the FS1 era until 2 a.m. Like they would have dragged the card out up until one one o'clock, one thirty, just because they have time to fill because they're a network without a lot of content right now. Putting this on a streaming service where it doesn't really necessarily need to be a time filler. It's just it's what fight sports needs to have in its in its new stage, and I think it worked congruent with it. In it, it worked with each other. Meaning, I think that ESPN's purpose on this night was not to have the UFC overlap the, the better boxing fights. So they were off the air at a certain point to then say, "Okay, hey, if you're already on ESPN Plus, get ready. We got a boxing card coming." Unfortunately. We saw really bad timing on ESPN Plus Boxing because that Kovalev main event went off at, what, 115 for absolutely no reason. I want bodies knocked out and dragged out. Exactly. All right, that's what I want, and I want to see what's coming next. Not only for us uh, crotchety old East Coasters did we get a nice taste here, but we got a pretty damn good card. You want to talk about a main card, which we will in a minute, which was one fight, fun fight after another. There was some banging going on. There was some giant performances that have title implications, all that good stuff. But on that undercard, I still haven't seen it. So take take my MMA card away. But you were blowing up my social medias over this Tiago Alves, Max Griffin brawl. Oh, dude. you st- I thought you actually got back to watch that because, my lord. Max Griffin is the guy who ended the Mike Perry experience, by the way, in uh, Orlando two years ago or last year. I don't remember where it was. But he's the guy who got that surprise win, and this was his – not moment, but it was his chance to show again, hey, I'm like a pretty decent welterweight now. I'm going into somebody's backyard to take them on. Thiago Alves is from Fortaleza in Brazil. So this was a big chance for him. And to his credit, in the first two rounds, he was swinging on Thiago Alves. He was taking his, he was just taking his soul, it seemed like, because every time he was landing, Tiago's chin was turning. But then, all of a sudden, in the second round, Tiago caught like a second wind, or he, he just found a rhythm, and all of a sudden, they're having wild exchanges back and forth. And it was like, when did Tiago get back to 2009? Because this was the Tiago I, I watched at UFC 100 before all this, all the, the downfall for him. He looked good. Now, he probably won. So he 
So Max won the first round, and Tiago pretty clearly won the second. The third round was a little questionable because Max did a lot of holding, thinking that he could just grind out a decision victory. And to his credit, he did control the round. And then he lost the split decision, 29-28, 29-28, 28-29. And everybody was like, what are you giving – why are you giving Tiago the third round if he really didn't do anything? It was just really weird. It was a fight that probably didn't – weren't going to a decision – it probably needed another round to like actually settle it, but it was it was fun to see Tiago again in a brawl for two rounds before the third round kind of gassed out. Yeah, you mentioned Tiago's career kind of falling apart after UFC 100, man. It's, there's a lot of pink on that if you're looking at Wikipedia for alternating one you know one win and two losses, another win, two losses, two wins, two losses. It's been a dark road for him. Maybe he didn't fully earn it is what I'm kind of hearing what you're saying, but this gives him a little bit more life and a name. And if he could settle into old guy with a name who makes fun fights, uh, you know, uh, you've seen, I don't know, Jim Miller's second half of his career. You can linger for a while, Wise. I mean, he has been lingering for a while. Um, he, he definitely got some home cooking on those scorecards on Saturday night. And I just don't know what else I want to see from him. Like you said, you might want to get some fun old guy fights. But it feels like he's going to be one of those guys that they throw to the wolf, like throw to the wolves for the up and comers that are like still trying to make a name for themselves. And I don't really want to see that. Like that was kind of what this was for Max Griffin, and Max Griffin just didn't get the finish that he thought he could get. That's the life cycle in MMA and and in all combat sports. But you know, UFC doesn't seem to particularly pr- protect <laughs> their older guys with names. It's 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 the. It is the full circle. Bring them back to set up their name, to give the rub to somebody else. And, hey, if you're willing to linger, they're willing to put you in lingering fights no matter who you are, Anderson Silva included, uh, except, of course, for this Saturday when he gets that title opportunity. A victory could get him in a title opportunity. A lot more to come. Hey, speaking of UFC 234, which we will preview in this show, we're going to have some bonus audio this week, wise man, that I want the people to get fired up with. Later this week, the State of Combat giving you interviews with the four players that matter in Saturday's card. We're talking about down under the middleweight champ Robert Whitaker, challenger Kelvin Gastelum, maybe the best next big thing in all of MMA, Israel Adesanya, and that name, other name we mentioned, Andy Silva, the big spider. He's back for one more, baby. I back. Trust me. I back. You're going to hear from all of those. All right, but UFC Fortaleza, this main card banged one after another. We can't bury the lead, though. This was Marlon Marais' night, and both of us coming in, we were wrong. We were straight up wrong. We knew that first fight was close, a split decision win for a Sun Tzu, but I, none of us could have predicted it would end this way with Marais blowing through Asuncio, just absolutely dominating, securing the first-round submission win via guillotine choke. But the submission, the tap-out, was almost an after-effect for the striking that set it up. This was absolutely dominant. Yes, we'd seen great stuff from this guy when he ripped through World Series of Fighting and went on that ridiculous win streak and beat everybody. But, you know, when you come to the UFC, a lot of guys have had a little sidestep, backstep here and there. He's fulfilling the potential. This is the guy, Brandon Wise. Man, I just got to say, like you said before the fight, that we weren't sure what we were going to get from this. We thought we'd probably grind out a decision because Sun Xiao never gets finished. His 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 knockout rate isn't is high, but it's not like overpowering. It never seems overpowering. This felt a lot like his last fight against Jimmy Rivera 
when they fought in that main event last year in June where we didn't really know what to expect from that fight because Jimmy Rivera is was so good and on such a tear. He was like, I think he was 20 and 1 or 20 and 0 going into that fight. And he knocked him out in 33 seconds. <laughs> so Jimmy, uh, out, uh, Rafael Asuncao was on his way to that if he didn't get, if Marlon didn't jump into guard and then work his way towards that submission because he wobbled him good with that right overhand, uh, hook on in the first round. I think I was telling you this before we started recording. I want to say Marlon has shown he has the possibility. He might not be there yet, but he has the possibility to be better than TJ Dillashaw, 135 whoa, pounds. Whoa. Now, a, a conversation involving that, a comment like that, a hot take from the wise man. <laughs> the asterisk is, is TJ, uh, negative effectively, effective, uh, affected negatively from moving down 10 pounds, which in hindsight, as we mentioned a couple shows ago, was a stupid decision, gets sent to hell by Henry Cejudo. Will that negatively affect him? Will that change who he was coming off of two knockouts to Cody Garbrandt, being essentially the second best pound for pound fighter in the world before John Jones came back? And now we got a lot of questions. Uh, a performance this strong from Marias makes that statement you just made not so crazy. Maybe I'd fight you for it if he hadn't just been knocked out. But it's going to be interesting if we don't see the TJ Henry rivalry continue right now. If business goes back to normal at 135, then Hafia, or not Hafia, Marlon Marais just, that's a hellacious statement because it was full on dominance. It was beautiful, the two right hands that hurt and then Florida Asuncio. I mean, they came out of nowhere. They hurt him bad. And you can tell this was something he picked up from watching video. That was a tough split decision loss to him the last time around. A lot of frustration. Uh, Marais looked great early in that fight. Seemed to kind of leave the door open. There was so much urgency here. But even more, there was a lack of respect. That's what I love the most about this Marais uh, uh, fight. It wasn't like, I'm going to tiptoe around and prove to you how good. It's like, I'm going for that title and I'm walking through you to get there. And I don't know if we saw that in his UFC debut against the Sunset. I don't know if we saw it when he got the split decision win over John Dodson in the next fight. But when you package now together, knockout of Aljo via knee, that rolling through Jimmy Rivera, like you mentioned, at a point where Rivera was so hot, and then this victory, that statement you just made, maybe not so crazy. Because at, what, 30 years old, Marais is putting it all together. And if he had done this performance and then walked off, I'd still be impressed. But even in broken English, him standing in there and calling out TJ with that corny shtick, yeah, it was corny, but it was effective. I like when guys grab that mic and take control and own it. Wise, he owned it. He owned it. He said, TJ, I don't even know if you deserve to fight me for your title based on how you looked against Henry Cejudo. That's what we want out of guys. Yes. And to be fair, he was kind of coaxed into doing it. He didn't seem very interested in doing it at first, but Michael Bisping was like, Say something to TJ. <laughs> so uh, TJ, uh, TJ, uh, uh, yeah, it started off a little boratty, but he pulled, he turned that thing around. And side note, I, I don't know if I think you said you didn't like Biz being on the call. I thought he was great. I, I thought like, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. Why didn't you like? I it? didn't hate it. Okay, let's be clear. Yeah, I feel yeah. like we always have to have extreme takes. It was either great or it sucked. It just wasn't for me. I think there are better guys, and I think Bisping has really established himself as one of the better studio analysts in my mind because he's not afraid to take hard takes. He's not afraid to call out uh, fighters to the, to their face in interviews. We, of course, remember the Max uh, Holloway interview in which he kind of called him out live for being a little punchy, and then we also remember when he uh, got himself into a couple of near skirmishes <laughs> on the Fox desk as well. Who was that big one that just happened? 
on the Fox desk? Was it Colby? Um, he called out Colby. Colby. Colby Covington, and they had words. And he said words with other guys, too. But I like him better in that spot. I think he talks a little bit too much as an analyst. Not a train wreck, but come on. Give me some Dominic Cruz, all right? Give me some. Oh, yeah. No, I love Dominic Cruz. I think Dominic's better than how DC does his broadcast. But this was actually Bisping said on there. This was the first time he'd ever actually set cage side as close as the broadcast team does. So he was really excited, and I think that's what came across was just his excitement level because he can actually feel now the shift, the the tide changes and everything with a punch or with a kick. So that's I enjoyed that just because he got into the fights more than other guys do, and he's like very into the into the broadcast. So I don't know. That was my taken away from it anyway. But to get back to your point about Marlon and TJ, yeah, I, I don't know, man. It's tough to say anything against Marlon at this point because every time he gets in there, he's crushing dudes. Like this isn't Vulcan Ozdemir going th- through three straight dudes with one-punch knockouts. This is domination. Wait, four, like, because you got to count that guy who knocked down that Fort Lauderdale bar. <laughs> okay, point taken. Um, but – yeah, I mean, the Aljamain Sterling knockout is highlight reel every time you see it. The Jimmy Rivera finish was insane. And then this fight against the Sun Sal, it was – he looks the part every time he's in there. We should have seen and it coming. Wise, we should have seen it coming this time around. We really should have. I mean – I mean, but to a Sun Sal's credit, he had lost once in like seven years. I mean, he's been looking solid and strong and steady lately despite his age. That's why I thought, if anything, Marias is going to win a decision. He's going to outwork him in the end, outcraft him. There was no working or crafting. He dropped a bomb on him. I think that we discredit these uh, WSOF or other organizations too much when they make this transition over. Because, like, remember when Gus- Justin Gaethje jumped over to UFC and everybody was kind of like, okay, you you were really good at, at um, WSOF, but – is that really going to work here? Are you going to be able to just run through dudes the way that you did there? And in that fight against Michael Johnson, it showed it showed us that maybe WSOF didn't have the greatest uh, strikers for him to go against because Michael Johnson lit him up before Gaethje finished him. So I don't know if it's just that we keep discrediting them or if we're not giving them enough credit for what they've done. Because he was a champion for a while at, at World Series of Fighting. He had one of the more impressive. Of anybody coming from another organization, I would say he had one of the more impressive resumes. It was straight dominance. Yeah. And, and look, we've seen other guys fall off, right? For, for every Eddie Alvarez who sort of takes a loss early and then surprises you in his UFC adjustment, we've seen Will Brooks. I mean, we've seen a, a, a few of these guys just not turn around. By the way, I was able to call, pull together really quick uh, audio of Marias calling out TJ afterwards. I like you. I'm I'm with that. I'm with that. I like I like the way he did that. You're such a jerk. <laughs> Strong performance. He wants TJ next. Will UFC want this next? Or do they see this TJ Cejudo thing as a two fight deal to make Cejudo a star? So you gotta do something with this love triangle now because what would you want to see more, honestly, at this point? Marais against Dillashaw. Or Marais against Cejudo. Marais against uh, Dillashaw because of, but it's because of UFC's inability to make a decision. If they're saying flyweight's over, 
I need Cejudo TJ next to figure out who's the Bantamweight King. And I think Cejudo knocking out TJ at any weight means he's next in line for it, right? He just beat Demetrius before them. He's on a roll. Let's give him that chance. But if they're going to keep going with that division, even for one more fight against Benavidez, then no, you can't have it all. You got to go TJ Marias next. And what you may end up happen, have happening is TJ a little damage from that fight. Or mix that with maybe you're right. Maybe Marias is ultimately better. And then you get a hot flash guy at the moment in Marias. I don't think Marias is going to sell big. I know TJ Marlin is not going to move product. But Dana don't like TJ. He's pro-union, brother. And deep down in your heart, you'd know that. So, uh yeah, I, I say you go in that direction. Yeah, uh, to go off of that, I don't know what the numbers looked like streaming-wise this weekend because we'll never know unless UFC puts them out. But I don't think there was a ton of interest in this fight on Saturday, just from a, an average fan perspective. So I think you're right in that there's not going to be a ton of interest in Marlon against either guy. But, man, it is tough to think that that dude does not get a title shot next after that performance because it's... He, he has shown he is the number one contender, like, without a doubt. There's nobody else at 135 that should be next in line for that title shot unless they do the Cejudo-Dillashaw rematch. And he talked a little trash, and I love that. And I had a little joke earlier with the Borat, but I, here's the actual sound we were talking about. You dance very nice. <laughs> like Jaisha. This <laughs> <laughs> little teacher's favorite technique, huh? Let's go. Sorry, sorry, hit the wrong button. That was Chosen, the evil villain from Karate Kid Part 2. Legendary guy, right? That guy had some mixed martial arts game. Like Geisha. <laughs> no, you're not with me, Karate Kid Part 2? No. You, you, you don't, you don't speak that language, are you sure? You don't, you know? Can you give me, can you give me the... Oh, come on, Wise. Come along with me on this journey right now. This is not, this is not your childhood? We didn't live the same way? We did not. All right. Well, they fought to the death at the end, Chosen and Daniel. Okay. Can you give me? Can you give me the the plot of Karate Kid Two since you gave me Cocoon last week? Yes, I will. I will. All right. So, have you seen Karate Kid Part One, the original? Parts of it. Oh, how dare you! All right. There's this <laughs> absolute dirt hole named Daniel Larusso, like the kind of kid that no, like his classmates can't like him, but he's from Newark, New Jersey. Dad left the family, lives with his mom, takes karate out of a book at the YMCA because he gets his ass kicked all the time because he's just unlikable. He just has like, he goes from zero to 60 too quick. And if somebody rubs him the wrong way, like us growing up, if there was some dude who's jacked and he makes a comment, you go, yeah, all right, I'm cool with that comment because you're going to kick my ass. Daniel LaRusso had this ability, despite being this wiry, skinny dude, of just stepping into situations, getting his ass kicked. So he moves because his mom gets a new job. They move to Reseda, California. And while he's there, he again runs into the wrong crew and gets his ass kicked. So this time an old man, the super at his building, Mr. Miyagi witnesses him getting his ass kicked and off helps him, repairs his bike. And eventually it's like, oh, you know karate? Miyagi trains this guy, but doesn't train him to be a killer or a warrior, trains him to be a defensive point fighting master. And as the bullies keep trying to fight on him, the only way to keep the bullies away is Miyagi agreeing to sign Daniel San up to the All Valley Karate Tournament in, in the Valley in, in Southern California there. 
And Daniel, as a huge underdog, enters this tournament, and it's one of the greatest movies of all time. The underdog story, the original Rudy, a little bit of, of Rocky mixed in, Karate Kid style, and it's it's great. You, you, you can't live without it. It's fantastic. But then they needed to hit, it did so well, it touched people right in the field spot, that they needed to make a second one. So in the second one, Daniel moves in with Miyagi. In this relationship that's never sort of teased as if it's weird that an old guy and an 18 year old boy would want to live together, but hey, that's your, that, you know, that, whatever you want to do, that is your way of doing it. But what happens is, Miyagi has to go back to Okinawa because his father is dying. And when he gets there, Brandon Wise, he finds out that his arch enemy, Sato, still wants to kill him and fight him to the death. Why? Why? Because Sato's girlfriend, was in love with Miyagi back when they were young. And Sato said, you have disgraced me. And essentially... Oh, coward. You return. Then you die if you have lived. So Sato, in his 50s, owner of this karate school chain, challenges Miyagi to a fight to the death, Brandon Wise. Because they don't fight for points in Okinawa. They fight to the damn death. And Daniel, of course, because he's an a-hole, gets in fights with everybody, including Sato's nephew, Chosen. And at the end, it turns into a fight for life and death. Because Miyagi won't fight his old friend Sato. He just won't do it. All right? His dad's dying. He's not going to do it. But Daniel, to save his new girlfriend, enters into a fight to the death. And Miyagi says, no, no, no. This is not for points, Daniel-san. This is for life. And they have an epic finishing sequence. In which I won't spoil. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm going to leave you right there. All right? Did I set the stage for you right there? I set, I set it up for you. Can Can you take that and run with it? I can. I think that was five minutes of you just talking for about this movie. And I seriously, we're going to start another podcast where we just have you read movies because I just want to listen to you describe movies and read books now. You got me fired up, all right? Wow, wow. All right, back to uh, Marlon Marais. Yes, he deserves TJ. There's nobody else, by the way. I don't think there's anybody else. If they do TJ, so who knows? If I'm Marais, I just sit around and wait. But this was a fantastic card. And Marais, despite being in the main event, I don't think he was the, the full story here-wise. I don't think he was the marquee in the long run. Dude, Jose Aldo's back. And he's not back in a, oh, the legend had another uh, time in the spotlight in front of his home country fans. It was the legend is still the legend, and the legend will kick your ass. He back, bro. He back. Trust me. Trust me. He back. Uh, second round destruction of Renato Moicano. The same red hot featherweight whose only loss in recent time was against Brian Ortega and who's been looking fantastic. This was a potential trap fight. We talked about that coming in. But you know what the difference is? When I saw in that Jeremy Stevens knockout win for Aldo to the body, I saw an aging fighter coming off of two brutal knockout losses to Max Holloway, who, although he's only 32, is older in terms of mileage for MMA, and who's going to have to brawl to survive, but brawl to survive in a defensive way against elite fighters. I thought he brawled to survive against Jeremy Stevens. He got hurt early, and then he stuck to his technique advantages and went in there to a brawl and survived it what i didn't see coming was how this fight went where he was poised smart patient and then when he thought he had moicano hurt he didn't turn into 32 year old brawling jose aldo who's still got technique but he's got a brawl to survive he turned into wec 
Jose Aldo. He hit like the power boost button. I don't like, you know, like he, like he just kept hitting the X button on Madden and he just kept breaking tackles. Dude, he was a violent killer out there. This turned back the clock. The Jeremy Stevens win kept his career on track, meaning we don't have to talk about you retiring. This reminded us that he's still great. He's still elite. He's still a title contender. He's still everything if he wants to be. 2019 retirement or not, wise man. I'm not blowing you too hard, blowing smoke hair or pushing too hard. This is what I saw. Yeah, I mean, it was insane. Just based on how the first round of that fight went, I wasn't even sure what we were getting because both guys were way too calm. Everybody was just sitting back waiting for the other to make a move. And it was just kind of like, okay, this is different. I know, I could tell Moicano was definitely like in his mind saying, if I'm on the attack, he's just going to wait for his counter opportunity and he's going to knock my lights out. So Moicano was waiting, trying to be as patient as he can. But at the same time, he knows, he knows he needs to do something because if not, then Aldo's going to get points and take the round. So in the first, that's, it, it was like, all right, this is kind of weird. Jose never acts like this when he's in the cage, but it seemed like a game plan strategy for Jose because he, he just wanted to see what Renato was going to do out there. And as soon as he saw, okay, he's just going to wait, the game plan changed to be, let's go on the attack. Let's take everything we got and throw it at him. You know what and saw? once he, those late kicks, bro. The late kicks were friggin' back. They were back. Where were they against Max Holloway? Where were they against Jeremy Stevens? They were gone. And that's why I thought the real Aldo was gone. Yeah. And, I mean, I think Max more neutralized it. That's what it was. Jeremy Stevens, not so much. Jeremy Stevens, that fight was just weird in general <laughs> before he landed the body emotional. shot. I think, I think Aldo was feeling the same doubt we had for him that for, that he had himself entering that Jeremy Stevens fight. Am I still that same guy? Am I just going to end up every fight on my back? He looks so different this time around from just a few months ago. I, and I want to say that some of the, the the factor in that second round before he finished off the fight was, I'm in Brazil. All these people are here to see me because this had a weird fe- – the whole card had a weird feeling where it didn't seem like the crowd was into a lot of the fights – it kind of felt like UFC 224 where everybody was kind of there for the co-main event, not the main event, which was the uh, – was that Jacare against uh, Derek Brunson, I think? And then it was and then it was Nunez-Pennington in the main event for the belt. Uh, it just felt like that the, – the fans were only there to see Jose Aldo fight, and he wanted to deliver that moment. And, man, him knocking, him knocking out Moicano and jumping the fence into the crowd of people is just – Every time he does it, it's amazing. I feel and like this time was was that moment on steroids, though. Like this time, like it was insane. Mm. There was a rabid intensity to him getting over that fence and getting into the sea of people. Yeah, it. I mean, it's probably a top celebration you can imagine in fighting. Like <laughs> most of the time, they're gonna keep you from jumping that fence and jumping into the crowd. CC Conor McGregor, Khabib Nurmagomedov, but. Jose Aldo doing it and getting to his fan base is just amazing, and it gets you the feels every time. I mean, it's, it's it's so good when you see an aging fighter get a win like this. But, like, I can't stress it enough. This wasn't the feel-good win of the Stevens one. This is, oh, what do we do with him now? Because Moicano is a patient, technical, confident fighter. And when Aldo sensed, sniffed that he hadn't hurt, 
it wasn't reckless. It was psychotic the way he took him out. It was mercenary style. It was like, you notice when Moicano was circling away and Aldo kept cutting him off, kept using his footwork to cut him off and then just rained down on him, stopped on his feet, but he was hurt and Aldo was not missing. Like this is just like, I think the confidence is back. I think that's ultimately a difference. So, of course, is when you get rid of the nagging injuries. And he's had enough time off in between fights. I think he's repaired his mentally mental game as well. But I think some of that mental repair comes down to, I think in the past he's felt screwed. I mean, he's been honest about that, right? He never got the kind of rematch that he deserved. He never really got, you know, he wanted to break free from his contract. UFC wouldn't let him. But now that he feels he's in control of his endgame, Brandon, which is he's got two more fights on his contract, he wants them both to come this calendar year, he wants both fights to happen in Brazil, and he wants to walk away from UFC on his own, on his own terms, and potentially maybe to cross over and do boxing or just do whatever he wants. I think now that he feels he's in control, there's a stress off of him. There's a burden off of him. He made it look easy out there. And he's back to that. The mojo is back. When you lose that mojo, and you lost a great chunk of it against Connor, that's hard to put it back. Some most most guys never quite put it back. And now imagine how much he lost when, in two tough fights, Holloway took just took a straight just straight up took a soul, just walked right through him. And let's not forget, Aldo was having success in certain moments in those two fights, and it just didn't matter. I think the inside, the guy, the 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 real Jose Aldo on the inside is back. Yeah, and. To his credit, he probably deserves another look at the belt because it's like this 145 division is insanely stacked, but his legacy is there. His prowess is there. I mean, is he it is, though stacked? I don't know about that. I don't know if it's stacked. 55 is the most overload division ever, and Dana wants to send Max up to 55. What's going on in 45 outside of Brian Ortega? You tell me, Brandon Wise. Well, my boy Alexander Volkanovsky is waiting around. Oh, that does, and that does add something to it, yes. He actually at, tweeted after the fight that he's ready to take on Jose in May, and Jose said, sorry to that guy, but I'm not doing it. So You know what, Jose? I agree. You don't want that smoke unless there's a title <laughs> at the end of it, and it's getting a little into Anderson Silva, Israel Adesanya territory there, but unless it's the straight victory is, okay, if I beat Volkanovsky, I'm getting a title shot against whoever has the belt guaranteed – I think he would do it, but I don't know if he wants that smoke with two fights to go when he knows his end game. Yeah, and then there was a, a couple other people that jumped in at the end of the night too. Brian Ortega being one of them, he said, well, let's start negotiating. And I think that's probably the best fight to make for both for all parties involved because no. – no? no? No, no, you're wrong on that. You're wrong on that. I'll tell you why, okay? Aldo's got a little, like I mentioned, got his, got a swagger back because he's got a little bit of control. It's very rare in UFC that you get control, that you get some kind of control, right? Here's the deal. If I'm him, I don't fight Volkanovski at all unless I'm getting a title shot next. Number two, I don't fight Ortega at all unless it is for the damn title, which means, hey, Jose, it's Dana White. Yes, we're sending Max up. You're going to fight Brian Ortega in the main event in Brazil for the damn title. Yes, he's saying yes to that. There's no question about it. Number three. Not Frankie Edgar for a third time. Not Chad Mendes out of retirement for a third time. Connor McGregor, the rematch he deserved, the rematch he never got, the rematch that still matters to me, damn it. The rematch that also serves, by the way, since we don't do comeback fights, we don't do uh stay busy fights, we don't do that in UFC, it's still kind of 
if you consider it a little bit of a comeback, stay busy fight for Conor McGregor. We're talking about Cowboy. I said from the beginning, the Aldo rematch is the fight to make. Give Jose the cushion of coming up to 155. Connor's going to have certain size advantages. There's the grudge match element. Wise, tell me right now why Connor Aldo in Brazil, which Connor tweeted that he's into that idea, that he never got a chance to fight there, that he loved watching it on TV. That's money. That's everything. The only reason that doesn't happen in Brazil is that Dana wants to get all of the money he can out of that fight. And... To me, it's greedy, but at the same time, I understand the business side of that. I I would love to see Conor McGregor fight Jose Aldo in Brazil. I don't think you can get a better atmosphere outside of maybe having them fight in Ireland, uh, but I don't think they would ever do that. I so, don't think Fra- I, I think Jose would only leave Brazil for the Conor fight because he it means so much to him. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, we both know and want. McGregor, Aldo too. I don't think that's what's going to be next, though. That's the problem. I think that Aldo's going to get another. I don't. I mean, not softish, but he's going to get either the title shot in Brazil at 237, or he's going to get somebody that they know he can beat to set up a, a title shot at the end of his career. But at the same time, so he's going to retire at the end of this year. That's been his plan all along. Why would you give him a title shot if you're Dana White? Knowing he's gonna vacate it if he wins. I think uh, that's an interesting wrinkle. That, that certainly puts power back in Dana White to say, yeah, exactly. Why am I gonna do that? But I think that also plays into my Connor idea even more because there's no title on the line. It's, it's a, it's a pay-per-view main event with so much storyline and there's not much to lose from that. Connor should beat him in theory, even for as how good as uh, Jose Aldo did moving up to 155. He should beat him, but if he doesn't, we talked about this after watching Aldo do a backflip into the crowd and get swallowed up. If he beats Conor McGregor in Brazil, he's running into that crowd and not coming back. In fact, he may not finish his contract, and I would love every second of it. Not because I don't like Conor. I love Conor. Not because I love me some Aldo. Just because you want to see someone get that sweet justice that they felt they've been wronged. Now, look, he wasn't wronged in the fight. He got one punched. He got slept. But he also landed a pretty big one while getting slept and we always wondered what does that fight actually look like if it doesn't end in 13 seconds there's a lot to love about this fight a lot do it that's the most if you're dana white and you look at aldo as a commodity that's the most bang you're going to get out of him as a b-side correct yeah is ortega josie aldo a pay-per-view main event probably but does it sell more than two hundred seventy thousand? no yeah, did you, you said Edgar Aldo no, or Ortega? I said Ortega. Okay. Yeah. No. That's yeah. It's not going to do the numbers that you could even dream of with McGregor Aldo too. And when you're talking about stay busy's for Jose Aldo, are you talking about Yair Rodriguez? Is that what you're talking about? Possibly. I don't know what else you can like. This is the thing. It's do we want to get to fun, creative matchmaking with him, or do we want to take his ranking number seriously and make sure that he gets the fights that he deserves? But at the the other side of it for is Jose needs to be careful with his negotiation because if he takes a fight against somebody lower than him in the rankings, he's not going to make as much money. And you know that's probably part of what all of this is at the end of the day is how much more money can I get out of this before I'm done in, at the end of the year. Yes, yes, I'm with you on that. By the way, I did like to see like 
baby face Conor McGregor, giving respect to Aldo, giving respect to Brazil. Oh, got a good feel from it. I liked it. All right. He, he's been doing that a lot lately. Do you like when he was holding Junior though, and he saw Tom Brady run by, and he said, "Junior, now there's a proper 12. Did you like that <laughs> that product integration at all, or no? No. All right. I, all right. Yeah. It's pretty. I like my hair. I like my hair. The mamacitas like my hair. The Brazilian mamacitas like my hair. Well, come back, come back, Connor. All right, we can't linger here. We can't linger here. Uh, your boy, your boy Volkanovski, who you've made me love, appreciate, and fear. I think he—that's just a bad matchup. You do bad things to him. So, Jose, take the money, use your name, get what you deserve, get out of here. Let's move on down this card. Why? Wise? Why? Why? <laughs> um, Damian Maya, bro. Damian Maya is back, and he's well, all people's he, backs. Is he back, or is Lyman good? Always been Lyman bad. Let's be honest. I don't know why more people don't make those stupid jokes on Lyman Good's last name because he is like he's just Lyman average as a fighter. Like he's just never gonna be a great fighter, and his style did not match up well at all against Damian Maya being like the world class grappler and wrestler that he is. I mean, as soon as that bell rang, you could just see Damian Maya had his prey in front of him because <laughs> Lyman Good's first decision once that fight started was to back up and go towards the fence. And it's like, what? why are you trapping yourself, man? Like, <laughs> you're just putting yourself in a horrible position against a guy who just wants to get on you and put his arms around your neck. <laughs> like, so... Uh, Amy Maya, go sorry, go no, ahead. No, no, you, you're right. There were a lot of bad decisions from him in here, and look, this was the perfect foil for Damian Maya to come back after end of his career, after those tough losses against some really elite opponents, but losses in which we talked about it in the preview, it just sort of went backwards. Wasn't striking at all. It was just like, I'm going to shamelessly go for the single leg takedown over and over and over again until I run up that streak of about 4,000 consecutive takedown attempts without a successful one. Well, he didn't even really need a takedown in this one because he put the backpack on Lyman Good, and Good is like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good, bro. I'm just going to lean back against the fence, prop you up, make sure you're comfortable, and go ahead, just slowly uh, slowly sink in your, your snake-like charm on me. Impressive performance for my uh, right opponent, right time. I don't want to see him again in a super elite fight, though. And I don't think he's really got enough goodwill or name value to linger as an old guy. I think this is the right time to walk away, bro. I think he said he's got two fights left on his deal, so he wants to play out the string. And he actually mentioned that he'd be interested in like a Michael Chiesa fight, which I'm not. I don't hate it. I don't hate that. I don't hate that. Yes, it's interesting enough. I mean, they're that, two similar wrestling based guys that could make an interesting fight. But yeah, I mean, I, we talked about him last week as being like the ultimate bridesmaid when it comes to uh, top welterweight. And yeah, he's still he's always going to be that. That's what he will be remembered as because he will never get that championship opportunity again. He's never he's not going to be on that elite level. I remember him most for making Dana panic in Abu Dhabi by <laughs> by ir- potentially irritating the new Saudi investors at the moment there. Yeah, or not uh, Saudi investors, mid- Middle Eastern investors. Let, let's wait, UAE investors, right? <laughs> Yeah, was that the was that the Anderson Silva fight? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. I remember watching that pay per view in the morning live. Yes, yes. Uh, well done for Maya, but yeah, all right. You got to play out the string, then either walk away, bro, or I got one word for you. It's on VHS. Rent it. It's called Cocoon. 
Scott Coker, line one. All right, hey, we got to get into Johnny Walker Red here. This, uh, I don't know what to do with this guy. Why is this you light heavy? The seven foot tall light heavyweight prospect, who yes is insanely dangerous and spectacular and wild and out of control and has now put together a pretty good highlight streak against bad competition of just cinematic, crazy video game knockouts. But he's also an absolute clown. Not like a little bit, just like an absolute clown. I don't know if I can get behind him. He comes in here against Justin Leddett, scores a 15-second finish, which really validates all the good things people were saying about him coming in, except for the fact that Justin Leddett is obviously not a top-quality opponent. And it was a head kick that he missed, but he packaged it right into a spinning back fist to get the knockdown and shortly after get the finish. But in between that, before the fight was waved off, he wound up for a soccer field goal type kick to the face that he just barely missed and seemed to show no remorse or understanding in the post-fight interview, by the way, that it wasn't legal, that we would be talking about a whole different thing right now if he had. Why is that would have been the most blatant foul in the history of mixed martial arts. Like, that would have been the most vicious running kick to the face. Even where kicks to the face were legal in the pride days, have we seen a kick to the face as potentially vicious as that? A guy in his back who lifts his chin up just, and lifts his head up just as Walker with those gangly limbs is coming in. Full-on, full-on Vinatieri style, full-on trying to go for it, and then comically misses it and then gets the finish anyway. Uh... Should I just move past this and celebrate this guy, or can I get stuck on the fact that he almost kicked the dude right in the teeth and then would have comically lost this fight? I mean, but he's right up your alley. He's pride never die, man. Like He's a clown, bro. He's got he's got clown shoes on. I mean, he's in, he's fun, I guess, but his antics— How is he—okay, wait, wait. Why would you say I guess? How is he not fun? He un- All right. I get the stuff about him trying to kick the dude in the face, and thank God he missed because that could have been gross on TV. But how is he not fun? He's not He's not being a jerk to people. He's dancing. He's making his Here's, different it's moves. It's weird. I he's, don't have a perfect answer for you, Wise, because I love showboaters. I get down on this type of crap. There's something about this guy that just rubs me wrong. He didn't have one – "Quote unquote finishing move after he won, like the like the Tito Ortiz whole you know burial thing. He had like five, and he somehow mixed a worm in there, and he's just a, he's just out of control. He's the happiest man in all of mixed martial arts, by far the happiest man. He's insanely happy. He's idiotically happy. And you know what? It's hard to say until he fights a light, live body at two hundred five that he's not an intriguing long term contender here with these type of finishes." But do I, am I waiting for somebody to send him to hell? Maybe, maybe after these type type of antics. I mean, what do you want him to see him do? Like, who who do you want to see him against? That's going to make you go, okay, maybe the showboating is legit. Somebody in the top point. forty. How about that? Top forty. <laughs> you don't think Justin Leto was in the top no. forty before that fight? No, no, he wasn't. At two hundred five of all places. No. Uh, look, obviously his 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 elbow KO knockout of Khalil Roundtree the last fight in November that was obviously fantastic. I'm joking a little bit about the about the whole you know uh, cab drivers. That's a quality, you know that's a a decent name 
to sort of go, okay, he's on that level. Obviously, he fought in the Dana White Contender Series before that and then had 16 fights in, in the type of places that fighters come up, you know, under on the way up in Brazil and in England and all that. Suffered three losses around, along the way, but certainly has evolved into something. He gets it when he's in front of the camera, so no harm done there. I just think he's annoying to watch. And I really want to see what he's going to look like against more live bodies. I mean, like, like I said, you can't hate on the Khalil Browntree win. Justin Leddit was not speaking my language here. But let's line up a live body because you got something here. Whether it's going to be polarizing to make me want to cheer for him to, to never breathe again or not, this guy's something at least wise. Did he win? Did, did he win you over? I, I have never had a problem with this guy. I thought he was hilarious in the Khalil Roundtree win, and I thought this was even better because he was more over the top. He was salsaing his way to the octagon on his way out. <laughs> and then before the fight even starts, he's literally hanging on the side of the cage for let it to come over to him. Like, I, I love this. I, I want more of this in fights. I think this makes everything more fun and people are more entertained by it because at the end of the day, we want to see dudes who can do those kinds of things. Like, fight fans are so weird in that all we want to see is crazy knockouts but we also want the showboating and the flash. And this dude gave you all of that and then finished a guy in 15 seconds. I mean, it's the perfect storm. And if he keeps doing it, he's going to get a gigantic fan base. Because to his credit, Connor kind of did this stuff on the way up too. Connor was I'm, way more wild in terms of chances he would take in striking than people realize in those early fights. And he might not have been as crazy like with the dancing and everything coming out, but Connor was wild, like talking so much smack. Johnny doesn't even talk smack; like he just does weird things in front of the camera. So maybe I, I just need my, uh, a Chael Anderson like rivalry between him and I. Anderson Silva, you absolutely suck. I'm about to do that to Johnny Walker. No, look, he's 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 an attraction now for sure. When he's on a card, you're gonna want to get to that card and see what happens next, whether you like him or dislike him. I'm obviously intrigued by the way he's finishing dudes. The near kick to the face was kind of a dick moment. The ultra, ultra celebration felt like a dick moment, but hey, we'll see, we'll see what he can package here. Let's get him a live body. Let's see what we got here. Seems like he wants to fight every week. He seems like he's a little Cerrone in him. He, he's ready to go. Give, you know, I don't know, dude. The dude's ripped. The dude's about seven feet tall. He looks way bigger than for that division. It's interesting. That's not a deep division in the long run when you really map it out. It's weird that to me, he's just, <laughs> If you split up two personalities on their way into the UFC, you get one in Paulo Costa and you get one in Johnny Walker because they look almost the same in terms of physique because they're just both built out of clay model. Like, <laughs> And then you have Paulo Costa who just wants to fight people and has nothing else good to say, whereas Johnny Walker just wants to be a showboat clown. Clown it's like they're, would be the right word. They're twin brothers that have just – Completely different personalities. Yes, yes, indeed. All right, we got to bag up Fortaleza and get it behind us to continue on with the show. Reminder, later this week, Thursday, all interview episode UFC 234. You will not want to miss. Wise, what do we miss this week in the uh, in the news cycle here? Let's break things down. So we recorded last week on Tuesday, I believe. And then, or no, we recorded on Monday. And we had the Nevada State hearing for both Conor McGregor Khabib Nurmagomedov, and then John Jones the next day. So we didn't get to get all of that news in. The biggest thing from that is that both guys received their suspensions and their punishment. Um, 
McGregor is eligible to fight in April, I believe, based on his suspension from NSAC. And Khabib will be able to fight in April after he does his PSA. If he does, <laughs> if he does his PSA. I don't hear him asking for the location of the PSA studio anytime soon. He Nobody came up and said, I ain't fighting in Vegas again, dude, after this. Yeah, that was another interesting So he's nine-month suspension, which takes him through, what, the end of July? Wasn't it retroactive? So it's all retroactive. Yeah, and with Ramadan, it potentially could push him toward the late summer. Maybe that's what I'm, I'm referencing there. It remains to be seen if he's going to do a PSA. He came out and said, of course, that this is too harsh. I'm not going to fight in Vegas again until my teammates are cleared. And a lot of people speculate that could mean when he does come back, it will be New York, Madison Square Garden later this year. But let's start with the, 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 the punishments and what they handed out. I think they were in a tough spot, obviously, because of what happened and didn't happen in April of last year. When McGregor started all this and then got nothing from the UFC. Yes, the law played out. Yes, he took a plea deal. Yes, he paid a lot of legal fees for his actions. But he had zero punishment from the UFC. He was rewarded with a cut to the head of the line, get the hottest guy in Habib in the biggest fight in history. So let's let, let's just put that out there because it's the truth and it did happen. Okay, And I'm not an anti-Connor guy, but we got to be honest here. And even though that New York and Vegas commissions aren't necessarily related, they're not brothers working arm in arm, it would have looked really bad, obviously, if Habib had the book thrown at him, if he was suspended for a year, year and a half, or whatever, because they did nothing to Connor and he benefited from it. Was Habib wrong after the fight? Yes. Is there some culpability to the UFC for allowing the promotion of that to go too far? Maybe to a degree. Not to the degree that the Nevada State Athletic Commission is now trying to get uh, sanctioning against trash-talking. I mean, come on, it's a fight. But things went too far. UFC in the end in October was lucky we didn't have a giant melee that stains the sport. In the end, I'm actually fine with the nine-month suspension retroactive. I figured it would be around that length. The retroactive part would help it make it not feel like it's more because we've all been sitting around waiting this to happen. He does have that option, like we mentioned, to cut it down to six if he wants a pre-Ramadan fight and can physically pull it off. It's interesting. The fine is where it changes. $500,000. $500,000. Habib made $4 million in reported salary for this fight. Obviously seemed to make more because this was the biggest pay-per-view in MMA history at 2.4 million buys, I believe it was, which would make it the third biggest fight ever behind uh, Mayweather-McGregor and Mayweather-Pacquiao. So that's a lot. I think you know Dana White was upset about it. I think Habib is obviously upset about it. Habib's uh, two teammates, his cousin and his uh, Spartan, his teammate, got one-year suspensions with fines. Hey, I actually think that's legit. That's fine. You got to stop people from jumping into the cage from the outside in. They sent a message. These guys, their careers aren't over. I'm okay with that. Habib's not okay with that. The only thing I got issue with is that fine-wise. doesn't affect me. It's not my wallet. But that's a lot of money. And in, you saw people tweeting out the comparisons of what the California State Athletic Commission has fined people in the past or what they're legally allowed to fine people. This is the biggest fine by far that anyone's ever endured on this type of level. Yeah, and to go off what you're saying about his teammates and cousin getting that suspension, it's kind of hard to argue against it when they legitimately punched Conor McGregor in the head after the fight was deemed over that, yeah, they're going to get punishment, dude. You can't prevent that. You jump the fence is one thing. They jumped in the cage and tried to fight Connor after Connor was just beaten. Like, 
I, I, I don't understand the, the way, logic I support there. Connor not pressing charges in that spot because he realizes I attacked a bus of innocent, full of innocent people with a dolly. Yeah. All's good that ends. You know, all's fair in love and war in this one. He doesn't want to pay any more legal fees since he's still paying out lawsuits for that too. So, but yeah, the, the, the fine was pretty incredible. And I, I want to point out, I believe that Nevada still had half of his fight purse from that or whatever the disclosed money was they because they, 200, they, sorry, it was 200 million. They were holding 2, two million. million. They were holding two yeah. Million. They were holding 2 million because they released half of it. But at the initial, after the fight, they held his entire purse and they were like, you can't get your money. Yet. And everybody was like, um, what <laughs> he won the fight and you're still not going to give him his money. So they released half of it. So they still hold of over a million dollars of his fight purse. And now they're going to take that 500 K out of it and then pay out the rest. That's, it's almost uncalled for, but it's also, I mean, this was kind of unprecedented, right? Like this was something we had never seen before. And I think this is Nevada trying to say, Hey, we cannot tolerate these kinds of things happening anymore. And this is, but this goes back to what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago where I was getting upset about the, the USADA stuff where they just suspend people from fights instead of fining. I mean, they suspended him and fined him for this as opposed to USADA just pulling you from a fight. That's kind of like the gray area where these commissions can make their own rules, and it makes me kind of frustrated with how they handle everything. There's a lot of but, gray area. In this instance, there's a <laughs> lot of gray area because Nevada couldn't come out like punks where they didn't do anything. But like I mentioned, they couldn't throw the book at him even though they wanted really wanted to set a precedent. They couldn't because of Connor, and you can't deny that. Yeah. So they just kind of just made it up, really. I, I mean, I think that's the best way to describe it. They just kind of were like, you know what? This makes sense, and we'll deal with whatever – appeals that of Connor and could be bring to us, but this is what we need to do to at least send some sort of message that says, Hey, whatever happened that night cannot happen again, guys. And I think this teaches Khabib a lesson as much as Khabib is still chirping and saying, this is, this is crap. This shouldn't, I shouldn't be fine. My brother shouldn't be suspended. I think to get the point across to him, Ali, his manager is going to have to say, dude, you got off pretty easy here. Like, (laughs) This was this was something that could have been a lot worse, and we contained everything inside of itself. So just be happy that we're not losing money and losing our belt even. Because couldn't Nevada have taken his belt away after yeah, after all of this? Look, it could have been disastrous. I'm saying that I felt they weren't going to do too much because of the Connor situation. They could have said, "F your F your opinions, BC. We don't want anything like this to happen again inside a uh, inside a ring or cage." We're throwing the book at him. We're stripping, we're forcing UFC to strip him of his title and we're recommending he doesn't fight in our state for like two years. They could have done a lot of crazy things. The retroactive nature, the ability to cut three months down at the end of it. I think that's all fair. That's all fair. Send a message, but the fine, like I said, I felt was a little too far, but maybe that was their way of saying we are no punks. We will hit you where we think it hurts the most. I'm glad his teammates will get another chance in UFC. I think if, I also think their hands were tied on that. If they said those guys are fired, Khabib seems to be a man of, uh, you know, standards and credibility and, and pride enough in the things he believes in that he may have walked. Yeah, I, and he said it before that he was going to walk if they decide to fire him. So I, I fully would have believed that if that happens because, yeah, 
Khabib, man, <laughs> he's a different character. That's that's the best way to describe it. He yep. he is not like the rest of these fighters. All right, we got to quickly map out what what's next for Khabib and Connor. We talked about it last week, but now in light of these changes, Dana saying Connor won't fight in April, but you have to believe Connor's what coming back for International Fight Week. Is that when you do Connor Cowboy or Connor Jose Aldo? Does that make sense to you? I mean, so it just depends, right? Like, can they get the money right to do it in May? Do you want to do it in – is May too soon? Because I feel like it's not. If you're going to actually do the Jose Aldo fight and you want to put it in Brazil because that's where Jose wants to do it and Connor's like, you know what? I want to do this. I want to go to Brazil and fight. Can you do that in three months? I think you can. Yeah, you can. And by the way, Connor is way better when he's active. So if I'm Connor, I'm taking as early of a fight as I physically can pull off and then I want to be back in for another blockbuster, and then I want to be potentially back in for a third to end the year. Crazy? I don't know. I think he's better when he's in that gym constantly, when he's not taking two years off developing whiskey, going out boxing, nothing around, getting a triple-double. If anything from that Habib fight, bad matchup, fought a bear, fought a damn eagle, yes. He's also pretty rusty, we found out in the long run. So get busy if you're Connor for Habib. I think he waits on waits on Tony and MSG. And are you serious? Are you serious? Yeah, I'm going to be there. I want to be there. Let's do that fight, okay? Sixteenth times the charm. Whatever number in their, in their fight series this is to try to finally make it, let's do that thing. Yes, in November at MSG. Lights on, baby. Please, please. If you want to find me, please just send me location. Send me location. Then I'll pay. Hey, hey, uh, Habib, what do you think about that fine, bro? This is number one bullshit. All right. Uh, what else we got in the news cycle here? Uh, Amanda Nunez? What's going on here? So Amanda Nunez on Saturday, she was at UFC Fortaleza, and she hinted that she might consider retirement after a Holly Holm fight. She said that her mom actually asked her to retire after the Cyborg win because what else is there left for you to do, right? Well, if you get to fight Holly Holm – who, by the way, had a fight canceled against Aspen Ladd that we still need to talk about. Dead giveaway. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, might be a hint at something in the future. I don't know. But Holly Holm, if, if Am- she's, Amanda said that if they book the Holly Holm fight, if she, she kept insisting on the if, then that might be the end of her career after that fight. Your thoughts? I don't blame her. I don't blame her in a way. It depends on the need for money and the hunger. Because really, if we're already calling her the goat, and for all the people that are saying, how do you guys keep coming up with a new goat every six months to fill headlines as journalists? This women's MMA has been around for an hour. How are you going to keep doing the goat? No, look at the resume. She's the damn goat. And the only thing that can actually improve her resume outside of potentially beating Cyborg twice if she wanted to and felt she needed to have that chance a second time, is Holly Holm. Why? Because of the act of the champions available. Look at this run. Look at this run. Ch- four, champions are former champions available across three divisions. If she fights and beats Holly Holm, the only UFC women's flyweight, bantamweight, and featherweight champion in history that she would not have fought and defeated would be Nico Montano, who had the belt for about three hours. All right? <laughs> she knocked out Cyborg instantly. She knocked out Rousey instantly. She submitted Tate and broke her nose to win the belt. She has two wins. Well, in reality, one, if we're going to be honest, but two wins over current flyweight champion Valentina Shevchenko. She defeated 
former featherweight champion Jermaine Durand to me. I know you've never heard of her, but she did do that. Dude, this is an insane run. I'm probably missing one or two names on there, people that have ever touched touched the gold either. This is insane. The only thing she would have to do, look, if we're talking about it, she's not going to retire after one fight. How about a three-fight run to end it? Here's your three-fight run. You ready? You ready for this? Fight right. Holly Holm, because by the way, whether you believe in it or not, Holly Holm still has a lot of rub from beating Rousey. She is a marketable B-side. That's why she fought Cyborg for the title at 145, even though she was coming off like three losses. It happens, all right? You fight Holly Holm. You say, I've defeated every a champion alive. Two, go back for a stay busy and beat Katz and Gano. Why? Because that's the last person to beat you. And she finished you. If you don't remember that fight, it was when Nunez did not have a gas tank. Nunez was dominating. She got tired. Cat finished her. Three, you do the cyborg rematch and you walk away. Or maybe you don't want the cyborg rematch. Wise, it's rare when you have the control in UFC. So rare. So rare. Connor had the UFC by the balls. Very few people get a chance to have any form of control. She has it right now. Maybe she wants to start a family. I don't know. But why not walk away earlier than later when you are already the damn goat? Already the damn goat. I don't know if she's motivated by money or not. Maybe she's already made enough for her future. I'm not against this idea. Starting a family is something that um, her partner talked to me about. I can't remember her name Nina right now. Nina Ansarov? What? Nina, I'm sorry. I was how blanking dare, First completely. of all, how dare you? <laughs> I could not think of the name. I'm sorry. But yeah, when I talked to Nina the, the last time I was at ATT, she did mention that that is something in their future. So yeah, it. She is the GOAT. Like, it is no question about it. She is the women's MMA GOAT at this point in time. And I don't – I honestly – I know that this is a fight that we're going to talk about because it's probably going to get booked. I don't even necessarily need to see this because I know how this ends. Holly Holm is not a good matchup for Amanda Nunes, and you know this. What are you saying? What are you saying? I think that Amanda is going to run through her. I don't think that. See, I don't, I don't, and that's why I really want to see it. Because do you Holm, think just because of of Holly's cardio and her her ring control? Holm does certain things really well. She's not a complete fighter. We saw that in how she lost the title to Tate. Obviously, she's still even even though she's aging. Although she did get divorced. And by the way, people do their best stuff after divorce. You know this. Our favorite rock stars after love falls out, they come back with their best stuff here. So maybe Holly's going to get rejuvenated. Maybe Vladimir Klitschko's going to come back now that he's not with Hayden. You never know, bro. Anyway, the point here is that Holly certainly does things really well. It comes from her boxing background and her kickboxing background. She controls space and distance well. Even though she lost a side we're going to have five round fight. She made it a fight. There were some fun technical moments in that. She's really tough. When was the last time you see people finishing her outside of that brutal boxing KO loss she had back in the day, which she came back to avenge, by the way. So she's tough enough that should Nunez walk her down and finish her, dude, that's the only way I'd say Nunez, maybe you should retire after one more. Like maybe you should just say, F it. I've got the control right now. Why the heck am I staying around? Why would I give Cyborg a second chance to improve on that? Why I, I've already destroyed her. If she can finish Holly Holm, which no one has done, I'm with you. I might be with you on that. I think this is a better fight than you realize. I think you gotta get woke to that. Yeah, I'm not I'm not feeling it. I just think it's it's a good point that she was not able to finish that Cyborg wasn't able to finish home, and that's probably a good sign of what kind of fight we might see. But at the same time, Nunes just showed how much better of a like how much better strategy t- she takes in the fights than Cyborg, I think. And I think 
if she's able to avoid the head kicks and uses her head movement, shout out to Edmund, I think that we're <laughs> going to see <laughs> we're going to have to see Amanda just push and push and push and I think she's going to take Holly Holmes' soul. I just wow. I think that's how it's going to go. Wow, bro, you're not even fooling around, you're not even hiding, you're just stepping in here and like He took his nuts, now you got to take his whole yeah, take his whole soul away. Take his house out. Take it out. Take it out. Wow. Um and by the way, shout out to Aspen Lad. Uh UFC never should have booked this fight. And we talked about that a little bit, but uh Holmes too valuable to give her an up and comer unless you really think she's done. Unless she's really done. Here's the thing, she only loses to elites. I still don't know why she lost to Jermaine Debrandom me. That card UFC two oh eight was jinxed. It sucked. The fight sucked. That belt still sucks. That division sucks. A lot of things about that suck. All right? They couldn't wait for Cyborgs. They thought, oh, we'll give the championship to, to, to Holly at least. No. But unless they think she's washed and, like, really washed, like, this level washed, don't set her up to face Aspen Lad. They realize they made a mistake. Nunez knocks out Cyborg. They go, oh, we got a fight here to make, don't we? Aspen Lad's team finds out on Twitter like the rest of us. Dead giveaway. It's all obvious. Let's move on. So the – thing I would say for Aspen Ladd is that you agreed to the fight, and that's great, and they made the announcement, whatever. This was another one of those sketchy, like, hey, we announced the fight before both parties signed off on it because – It's ridiculous. The, yeah. The whispers online when this was – when Dana said that was that Holly never signed the bout agreement. So I that's like- probably your number one sign that they were – they offered Holly the fight, but they were probably waiting to see how the Nunez-Cyborg fight played out. Yeah, we're taking weird step backwards in MMA journalism. Where, or maybe it's not journalism's fault. Maybe it's the UFC's fault. But the way that fights are getting announced and that are just seemingly not true, you know, like it just doesn't make any sense on there. But we got to yeah. roll on through. Uh, let's talk UFC 235 press conference because uh, we saw a little bit of fireworks out of that thing. We saw and heard some things. John Jones cleared. Oh, and that same. By the way, the same could be been in Connor. Uh, Nevada State Athletic Commission hearing, we find that John Jones is cleared. Yeah, they did poke around and ask a lot of important questions, but uh, not really surprised that John Jones is cleared on a one-fight basis with more drug testing added on to his plate moving forward to make him the most drug-tested athlete ever. By the way, I still don't think we've cleared up the fact that he could be microdosing. If this thing keeps popping up as in a system, you're going to keep hearing from me from BC because they don't know what they're doing. They don't understand the science. So if somebody's smarter than them, and we've seen people like Victor Conti's in the past who are crazy smart, I'm not saying John Jones is using. I'm saying USADA doesn't know if John Jones is using, and that's the problem. Anyway, he's going to be back at 235. Let's roll on. What'd you learn from this press conference? Um, I learned that our boy Kamara Usman's got some microphone skills that he's been trying to hide. Yes. Um, Coming out of his shell, bro. I thought he seemed a little nervous at the start of it, but as soon as like as Tyron opened up when he started there back and forth, I thought Kamaru got a lot more comfortable and he was able to he got some good one liners in there. I mean And he responded guys, well to getting served a few times. Like when Woodley seemed to vocally have, you know, knocked him down, so to speak, you know, in the verbal jabbing, I thought Usman bounced back well. Yeah, and I think that's how you sell that fight. You need those two guys to be able to talk smack like that because Anthony Smith and John Jones are not going to do it. <laughs> and they Anthony showed us Smith that. Or was that a waiter in the back? That was a bad choice. That red, that red suit coat. Man, it doesn't. It just doesn't help his case every time. Like I just, 
I give him a chance. I'm like, oh, you know what? Maybe this guy will give us something at this press conference. Nope. He gave us nothing. He got mad at the hecklers. He was the first person to say something about the hecklers that were like giving them smack the whole time. And then, yeah, those guys were like, oh, you don't, you don't like it? Let's do more. <laughs> you know what I just figured out? Our next t-shirt bet. You know what fight it's going to be? Hmm. Anthony Smith versus Johnny Walker Red. That's our next t-shirt bet fight. <laughs> Your least favorite light heavyweight against mine. Let's do it, bro. Let's sign it up. So once Anthony, Anthony Smith gets sent to hell by John Jones, that's what they're going to book for that's Johnny next. Walker. Unless that barista Patrick Cummins is still around. Anyway, let's roll <laughs> on. Uh, the, yeah, good, good trash talk from Kamaru Usman. I thought he really showed that on this level from a marketing standpoint, he just might belong. He seemed tough. He didn't seem to back down from anybody. Including backstage, cause there's video now from Ben Askren's scuffle with Marty. You see this thing? I still haven't seen the video, but I did find it funny that Ben Askren was saying this and then Kamaru tried to say, what are you talking about? I didn't do that. And then the video shows up online the next day. It's just like, come on guys. Kamaru was Why not playing, by the way. He got up in Askren's grill. Yeah, I just, I don't know. It's, <sighs> fighting. It, that's all I can say. It's just Fighting. a lot of testosterone. Uh, I, I like the way Marty did that. Why are we calling him Marty? Is that what Askren thinks his name used to be or something? He said that's what he went by when they were first uh, hanging around in the college wrestling circuit. So that's why Ben was like, why are you telling people your name's Kamaru now? You always said it was Marty. <laughs> His mama call him Kamaru. I'm going to call him Kamaru. All right, bro. By the way, that was the other highlight of the press conference was Ben Askren and Dana White with so, so many. All these years, so worth it to finally, that me, that picture you sent me of Dana White turning over his shoulder and asking with a double thumbs up, sums up everything. Brilliant. I mean, thank God that somebody asked the question of, Hey, Ben, you and Dana good? Dana, you and Ben good? He's like, Ben, Dana's like, I think we're good. I don't have any issues with Ben. And then he just turn, turns around and Ben's like, yeah, man, double thumbs up. <laughs> just sums up their relationship. <laughs> you all right there? Oh, sorry. It's late to the cough button. They're still dying. <laughs> still dying, by the way. Um, but yeah, that, that press conference was great. Askren gave us everything that we could have asked for in spades. He even kept pushing. Every time Dana had an opportunity to keep saying no to the 165 belt that Ben keeps asking for, Ben's like, but why wouldn't you do this? This is this makes perfect sense. And Dana's just like, no. <laughs> He's the principal just saying, no, we're not doing it. All right. You think Ben – and Ben's pushing that, by the way, because the, the only welterweight, as we've established, he won't fight is his longtime teammate Tyron Woodley. So, do you think in Ben's heart of hearts, although he's getting on Marty's case here, that he's cheering for Kamaro Usman to defeat Woodley so that he'll get a chance at the title if he gets by Robbie Lawler? No, because I think at the end of the day, if if Kamaru does lose to Tyron and Ben wins, then they're going to make Ben against Kamaru after that anyway. Of the biggest forbidden matchups in MMA, and I'm going to lay them out to you, you tell me which one you would want to see the most, okay? Cain Velasquez versus... Daniel Cormier. You can stop there. That's ben the Askren one versus Tyron Woodley. Or Mandy Nunez against Nina Ansarov. <laughs> Catch weight. Come on. Can meet me in the middle. We'll do it for this. We'll do it for the flyweight crowd. No, I want to see Kane Velasquez against Daniel Cormier. And that's by far the easiest one to make. All right. Or not, not the easiest one to make. That's the one that makes the most sense. Jim Miller versus Dan Miller. It's, that's still, that's still real to me. Right? <laughs> All right. Let's roll. Reese Hooker versus Dan Hooker. Hey, what? Yeah, there you go. There's a battle of hookers. Uh, what's going on with Dustin Poirier? Cause on his Twitter account, he seems a little, uh, a little unhappy here. 
Yeah. So when all the the Nevada stuff came out, they, uh, Dustin kind of took to Twitter because he saw that Khabib saying, "Oh, I'm gonna stay out. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm gonna take a break." Blah blah. blah. And Dustin posted on his, on Twitter. He said, "It's got to be Tony or Connor, or we redo my contract. Uh, otherwise, I'm not fighting. This company is number one bullshit." <laughs> He followed it up by saying, at this point, if you don't respect the body of work I put in, I don't respect you. And, I mean, BC, he's got a point. <laughs> I mean, he's in he, that same tough spot Tony Ferguson was in where you, you've done enough where if you give in and fight somebody you don't want to right now and you lose, you lose everything. Again, if you just sit around and wait, guess what? That phone's going to ring when somebody catches an injury two weeks out from the fight, and then you're fighting for the damn championship. You know how this sport works. It's a cruel sport, and he's in the cruelest of divisions right now. What the heck does Dustin do? Hey, UFC, I'm sorry that Nate Diaz, Dustin Poirier fell out at UFC 230 in New York. Last time I checked, they're both healthy. Last time I checked, that fight still rules. Last time I checked... People love Nate Diaz. Can you please? You're playing touch butt with that dork in the park. Yeah, bro. Make the damn fight. Yeah. I I just – I don't know what the holdup is at this point. We still don't have a location yet for UFC 236 in April, that, that next pay-per-view after the one in Vegas. Why not just put Dustin there? I, I don't understand what the holdup is. It, it doesn't make sense to me that you can't book a fight. Now – the other stuff that, that Dustin ended up on Twitter with was that people were telling him he should fight Ally Aquinta. Why would he do that? No, no. That makes no, no sense, sense for Dustin to do because Dustin is on the championship level status. He can only – in his mind and in our minds, I think, he should only be fighting number one or number two contenders. Why would he fight a guy below him when it's not going to do him any benefit? I don't think he had as much money in the bank as Tony Ferguson did coming off of that freak injury, yet he still fought Anthony Pettis when he didn't need to and destroyed him. Dustin has less currency, but yet he's still coming off of wins over Eddie Alvarez, Justin Gaethje, Anthony Pettis, Jim Miller. He's on a, he's on a strong enough run here where I'm either get if I'm him, I'm not tweeting about it. I'm getting my manager and agent or whoever, and I'm going to Dana, and I'm saying, Dana, be about it. Be about a title or main event money. So if you want to put me in Nate in a pay-per-view main event, that's fine. Or a UFC on ESPN, whatever, that's fine. I need main event money or I need a title shot, and that's the bottom line. So let's say Lightweight's bottled up because it is. Let's say we get Habib Tony this fall and Connor against whoever creative matchup you can make next, and he wants Connor. UFC's not going to do Connor, Dustin. Unless they panic last minute and go, you know what? This would sell giant pay-per-views because there's less dangerous fights that we've already established for Connor. So what about Dustin against Max? If that's not a perfect lightweight debut for Max, I don't know. Or what about this idea? Hey, Dustin Poirier used to be a featherweight, didn't he? I know it's really hard to cut to that. But hey, Dustin, if you really, really want that title shot that badly... Cut down to 45 and you can get max. Your thoughts, Brandon? No. Uh-uh. No, thank you. I don't want to see him try and do that cut, man. I don't. I think it's he has looked so much better at 155, and we've talked about it before. Like Some guys are natural at their weights that they've moved up to, and I think he's shown he is a natural 155-er. And cutting down to 145, it's got TJ written all over it again where he's going to get depleted. 
He's going to be unhealthy, and he's just going to get okay, crushed do you again. you need the title then for that fight to matter? Or can it be a non-title lightweight debut for Max, and then you play up the fight that they fought before, and that Poirier submitted him back in 2012? Yes, I think that makes more sense. Because you can also play into the fact that, like you said, Dustin would be the guy at Featherweight who moved up, and now Max is making his move up. And I see, this is where I'm saying is Max does not need a title fight immediately. I know UFC is probably going to want to do that to get like the champion versus champion stuff going again. But if you really think that Max is not healthy at 145, why not give him something to see what he even looks like at 155 first before you throw him into the deep end of the pool against somebody like Khabib or Tony? I want to see what Max looks like at 155 before he gets into those kind of fights. And if he gets wrecked at one, let's say if he goes in there and fights Khabib or Tony first, right? And he gets destroyed. Then what the hell do you do with him? Because he's clearly shown he's not the elite level at 155 and he had cleaned out 145. So is he just going to be another top four or another top five, top 10 dude at 155 now? And you just ruined a champion's legacy like that? I don't want to see that. That's fair. That doesn't work for me, no. There's actually nothing about that that works. In fact, if we're really looking at things to find out what actually does work. I could be fat. I could not have a six-pack. But my dick works. My dick works. That is, that's still true. Then, now, and forever. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, BC. All right. All right. All right. Uh, yeah. So uh, back on it. Uh, interesting. Interesting stuff for Dustin Poirier. He deserves more. We'll see if he gets it. Uh, Jones cleared, as we mentioned. Uh, remember that scare on the internet over the weekend? Another one of these. I say another one. Look, there's two bare knuckle boxing federations right now, and even though it's bare knuckle boxing, it's really so. It's boxing, but yet it attracts MMA fighters more than boxers because of the way the the fights play out. Bare knuckle is a different combat sport altogether. It really is because to protect your hands, you've got to be economical in your punches and you have to know what kind of punches will really knock a guy out rather than putting on gloves and just firing. So it's a different sport. It's also a bottom of the food chain sport. It's a gas station hot dog with cheese in the middle sport. Yet it's still out there. There's two organizations. The second one never got off the ground. Remember when they were going to pay Sean Merriman, then it never happened. But Bare Knuckle FC has got a few shows out there. You may have seen guys like Kendall Grove on it. Leonard Garcia had a win over the weekend. And at this weekend show, Anthony Rumble Johnson shows up and he's thick, bro. He's been in the, uh, he's been in the weight room and he's been eating and he's super heavyweight at the moment. And for a hot second before Ariel Hawani crushed all of our dreams, it was misreported that Bare Knuckle FC had signed Rumble to end people's lives. I was fired the hell up. This could have brought me off the ledge for Bare Knuckle fighting and back in it to see these tattooed the idiots fight each other. Look, I don't know why I hate Bare Knuckle fighting so much, but it's just really let's let's bring in Bob Arum to just uh he's there's Bob Arum talking about bare knuckle fighting. UFC are a bunch of skinhead white guys watching people in the ring who are also look like skinhead white guys. Thank you, Bob. Thank you for still hating in your old age. Okay, go for it, Wise. Yeah, I mean we were both I sent you that message when we were waiting for the boxing to start on Saturday night and we both I think our first reaction was Oh my God, we're going to see a dead body somewhere in, in Oregon or Wyoming or wherever they host these events because Anthony Johnson is just going to kill a person in the ring with his bare hands. <laughs> and then, yeah, Ariel Hawani ruined our fun. But yeah, I mean, if you got, 
Anthony Johnson in there, I, I, I mean, I'm buying it. I'm buying every fit TV, uh, fight TV app I can find to watch that fight and find it because it's, it's the bottom of the barrel, but good lord, do I want to see what happens? And I'll probably, it's one of those things where you watch it, but like, but you've got your hands covered over your face yeah, because it's you're weird, like, dude, cause there's more blood than there should be because it's knuckles that are going to cut you open, but I just think it's unnecessary. I'm never against like, Real, this is this is fight pornography. Let's be honest. So I'm never necessarily against that. I like washed on washed crimes. I would just rather see this like in the BKB pit. Remember that novelty, that little tiny pit. I'd rather take as many washed MMA and boxing names as you can find, put them in a BKB pit, which is a small circle with a ramp around it on all sides, no ropes, and it forces you to fight in the pocket at all times. Put some form of gloves on. You want to do MMA gloves? That's fine. And then just let him go in there and bang. I think the Knuckles takes it to a unnecessary next level. And then there's just not enough recognizable names. There's a couple guys at the end of the food chain that you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy in UFC. There's just not enough to make me want to watch the damn show. Rumble's in a management role. I don't know what that means. I really don't care. He's not going to kill anybody. Is he going to come back to UFC? They still have his rights. Yes, I think he'll end up fighting John Jones once at heavyweight once Jones gets there. And then that's it. Thank you. Anything else? No, I think that's it. Those things, those things deserve to just be in a back alley somewhere, not on pay per view. Thank you. It's, yeah, where's where's Dada five thousand? Let's get it from <laughs> Heart Meds, please. Uh, hey, King Mo's heading to Risen. Is it Risen? Risen? King Mo, can you answer this for us? When he step foot in that cage, they're gonna pay the price with net time. I don't think Risen has a cage though. No, they're they're the ropes. They're the boxing mixture. <laughs> All right, let's see what else we got here. In my home, this is my home right here. This is America Top Team. Don't just don't disrespect me in my home. King Mo, fresh off the knockout loss to Ryan Bader, the comeback loss to Liam McGrady, going risen. Who's he fighting? You got that information in front of you? McGeary, McGeary, not McGrady. Liam um, McGrady, uh, former NBA also Tracy McGrady knocks out King Mo. No, uh, Liam McGrady, McGeary, <laughs> Liam McGeary. Um, I do not have who he's fighting, but I know that. He's fighting on that Risen 15 card, and Kihori Iraguchi has his next fight. He's fighting Ben Wynn, the other UFC uh, ah. veteran. It's an interesting bout, I not think. Bad, not bad. Uh, Floyd, tension too on that card or no? Sure. Well, Brandon Wise, the time is now to get into our weekend preview, and that, of course, surrounds what's going on in the Thunder Down Under Saturday night, Melbourne, Australia. It's UFC 234. Now, let me tell it to you like this. From the outside looking in, I'm really fired up for this card because it's a middleweight heavy, top heavy, sexy guy's faces you put on the poster type of card when you're looking at the middleweight title fight, Robert Whitaker, Kelvin Gastelum, and of course, the have to see, must see, potential passing of the torch co-main event between Israel Adesanya and Anderson Silva. But outside of those bag of sex middleweight bouts and outside of maybe Montana De La Rosa coming back in women's flyweight. You know, I'm a big fan of that. Um, is there a lot going on on this card? No, this card sucks. Brandon wise. Let's be really honest about it. Yeah. I was thinking about this earlier and it's like in the last year, year and a half, would you consider this to be one of the worst pay-per-views that they've put out? Because you've got some interesting cards to look at in terms of name value. 
So 221 was the last Australia card I, I, I want. The last Australian pay-per-view, I want to say, right? The one with Luke Rockhold against Yoel Romero, yes. which was originally supposed to be Robert Whitaker against Luke Rockhold. And that card ended up being a lot of garbage, I thought. Even before the results, you had Curtis Blades against Mark Hunt in the co-main event, which was more of Mark Hunt being just like an Australian name, whatever, plug him in, bad fight anyway. Tai Tuivasa destroyed that something named Cyril Asker, <laughs> whatever that guy is. Um, Jake Matthews against Lin Geelong, and then Tyson Pedro against another jobber. So, I mean, to me, that's probably got to be one of the worst-ish pay-per-views that they've put out. This weekend, dude, Sam Alvey's on the main card yeah, for this, this pay-per-view. Really, dude, this is really bad. And there's levels to this when we're talking about bad pay-per-view cards because all you have to do is throw in a washed, aging journeyman name and a few different strategic fights on the preliminary card. And suddenly, you got people like me go, oh, well, I don't, I don't hate this card. Throw in a couple women's straw weight bouts. Why? Because they always deliver in terms of action. This has none of that whatsoever. After these top two fights, here's the rest of your pay-per-view main card. Bantamweights, Ronnie Yaha and Ricky Simon. The aforementioned Montana De La Rosa against Nadia Kasim. And Jimmy Crew and Sam Alvey at light heavyweight. That is just not, not, not getting it done. And if, be f- if only it got a little bit better from there, because sometimes we get a preliminary card main event that is main card worthy, but they're trying to boost the numbers on ESPN. This offers none of that. This is not ESPN preliminary card worthy. This is fight pass worthy. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, Ricky Simon is like one of those up and coming prospects that not a lot of people have heard about. And Ronnie Yaya is finally getting like the shine that he deserves because he's put on some good shows. He's never fought on pay-per-view before this, I don't think. But yeah, the rest of this card is just a whole lot of trash. There's not, who, who out there does, are people going to be like, Oh, that's a name I've seen before. Let me go tune on ESPN plus. Your boy Lando Veneta on the UFC Fight Pass, unfortunately, is taking that mantle of like a, Oh, okay. But there's no other ones. I mean, the, the damn tarantula Jalen Turner's on there. That's, that's cool, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever been like, this down on a pay-per-view because it's not even like the the two main events are like oh man i need to go get it they are like don't get get over yourself though yeah they are well okay the co-main the co-main let's be honest (laughs) yeah the co-main yes the main is fine the main is fine but you can't get better than fine it's fine but this just goes more to the boxingification of ufc right where they just have so what you're not wrong brother keep preaching they they just got so many cards that they have to fill out that we're just throwing bodies out there at this point. And people are going to get less and less interested in these names that they've never heard of. So they're just going to tune out until they make co-main and main events. Mm-hmm. And when we don't have the bodies problem, we have the belts problem. Because Colby Covington, no longer your interim champion. Tony Ferguson, no longer your interim champion. Neither have lost their championship. Nico Montano, no longer your women's. Oh, wait, that's a whole other story altogether. Uh, but, yeah, we got a major belt issue as well. Um. It's watered down. It seems like the ESPN deal added even more potential for this to get stretched and pulled. And unfortunately, in this case, you're 100% right. I know there's probably a couple of hardcores out there listed going, come on, Campbell, sh- sh- take your take your hardcore card back. How could you not be a fired up for featherweight Shane Young and Austin Arnett? I'm not. All right? I'm sorry. I'm not. That's it. That's it. That's the story. But uh, from the middle, as far as the middleweight division goes, this is expert 
booking at the top level. Expert booking. I like Whitaker Gastelum as a as a fight. You know, it's it's a quest maybe a questionable pay per view headliner, but Whitaker's got questions coming off of injury. We know that for all the things that have troubled Gastelum in his career. He's twenty seven. This is his time to really show what he is. But coming in, it's the sex that's pouring out of Israel Adesanya Anderson Silva that brings in the casuals just as well as the hardcores. There's a lot of storylines and subtext and subplots to this fight. And I think it's perfect genius hedge betting by UFC because either the last stylebender is going to get an all-time great rub from an all-time great lost le- washed legend in Anderson Silva or UFC is going to get one of those passing of the torch Robert Whitaker Anderson Silva pay-per-view title main events coming up and Silva on Saturday night is going to get a jump into the crowd Jose Aldo type moment either way they're going to win here and they're going to win big or you end up with Kelvin Gastelum against Anderson Silva oh in a God. main event title fight next which, which by the year. way it, it sounds cringy it sounds train wrecky at least you get Anderson Silva back in a title fight he can win right it's not like it's not the worst thing ever yeah I was thinking about this earlier it's I like what you're saying about it being expert matchmaking, but at the same time, man, I do not feel like Kelvin Gastelum is ready for this moment. It's I don't think he does. it. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think he deserves it, one, and I don't think he's the fighter for it, you know? He's been a really good fighter. A good fighter. He's not great. And I think anybody who watches UFC can obviously see that. Like, the wins that he has getting into this point – Nothing jumps off the page at you. He beat a lot of wash to get here, man. He beat Tim Kennedy, Johnny Hendricks, Vitor Belfort, which was later overturned because he had some pot, but whatever. And then he lost to to Chris Weidman, my boy. And then he tapped. Beats, he tapped out. All right. <laughs> and then he beats Michael Bisbing after Bisbing was fighting on like two weeks' notice. That, and that was criminal matchmaking, by the way. Bisbing taking a free trip to China, trying to cash out on his way out. On, uh, r- ridiculous that on what 17 days notice he'd come back and get knocked out it was insane and then he gets a split decision win over Jacare Souza and it's like okay I, I guess you get the shot because Jacare just couldn't beat you or and two judges mine didn't beat you I, I think we're gonna need to see something special from him if he's really ready for this moment especially going to Australia for this fight because like I said this last week Fighting in Australia against an Aussie or a Kiwi is not something everybody can do. That moment is going to be so big for him to have to calm himself, stay under, stay composed, and go out there and execute his game plan correctly. Yeah, one of these crazy Aussies crapping a shoe and peeing it and say, drink it. If you're not ready for that type of game, if you can't match that, then you're gone. All right, look, on paper, it's not a great matchup because you're right. Gasolum doesn't deserve it. we got to be honest with that. They just sort of rushed this in. They knew – that uh, they knew essentially that Whitaker was coming off of injury and was going to have to be out a while, so they gave him the tough assignment to help his rehab. They both coached against each other. They figured that would type of maybe drum up some interest. But no, Gastelum, for all the things you mentioned, even before that, let's not forget that failed run at welterweight, which was really stubborn for him to stay a welterweight. Took a couple losses that who knows if, if he would have taken if he wasn't so weight-deprived. Had trouble making weight a lot. But here's the thing. He's still only 27, and I think, maybe you're maybe you'll disagree, but I think it's in him. What is in him? The ability 
to get into a title fight and have a chance at winning it. I do think that's in him. Look, he's, he was a tough middleweight champion way back in the day. I think he's shown enough flashes where this is not ridiculous. He doesn't deserve it, no. And in a lot of ways, they are setting Robert Whitaker up for kind of that rare get-well fight. And again, there's no such thing in UFC as a get-well fight. I get that. Yes, Gastelum's hella dangerous to call him a get-well opponent. He's not. But in reality, Whitaker's a fairly comfortable, sizable betting favorite here for a reason. With that said, though, Brandon White, and with all that you said about the pressure on Gastelum potentially going into the Hell's Kitchen here of uh, of Australia and doing this, I actually think there's enough anti-pressure. There's, there's no pressure in a lot of ways. Because he doesn't deserve to be here. Because, yes, he's juggled wins and losses a lot. Because most people aren't giving him a chance. Is he more of a live dog, dangerous live dog, than we realize when you consider Whitaker's coming off of injury? Both of those Romero victories were hard fought. Both put him on the shelf for at least eight months each time. And there's that pressure on Whitaker now of, okay, you're a pound-for-pound ranked dude. You're a future star on the rise. We need to get you into that Israel Adesanya fight, that all-oceanic showdown. The future of the middleweight division is on the line. Does he look past Gastelum at all? Does Gastelum have more of a window into making this happen and pulling this off? Is Gastelum the perfect live betting underdog in this spot? Because it's an alternate universe down there in Australia. He doesn't have a lot to lose here, Brandon Wise. you got to agree with that. I do, but I also think that the pressure doesn't get to Whitaker in that kind of way. He, It's not like this is going to be his first major fight with UFC in Australia either. He's fought in, in Melbourne twice recently. He fought against Derek Brunson in 2016, and he fought against Uriah Hall in 2015. So it's not like he hasn't had this kind of opportunity, not, maybe not this opportunity where he's defending his belt in Australia, but he's fought on the big stage there before. And I don't know. I don't think it'll be a pressure. He'll also be seeing what happens before him. So he'll know going into that fight if he's going to be probably facing Israel next. So maybe if he's thinking about it in that way, the pressure's there. But I mean, I just don't, I don't think that's going to happen here. I think, I think Robert Whitaker is clearly the better fighter here. I think in a, in a vacuum, these two together, like Robert Whitaker is going to show you nine times out of 10, I am the better fighter and it's because of X, Y, and Z from my game plan. I think that in this moment, Whitaker wants to put on the great show for his his hometown in Australia and in, in with all the New Zealand people coming into town. I think he's going to put on that show, and I just don't think the moment will be too big for him. I think I think he will be able to fight with that pressure, and I think he'll, that pressure will be fuel for him instead of thinking of it as, oh, there's all the pressure on me. I love I, I thrive under that kind of stuff. That's that's how I would think he's coming into this fight. No, I'd, I'd agree with you on that. I mean, I think that's why he's the favorite in every category across the board. You could argue that he does things just you know just a little bit better than Gastelum in each of those categories. And I think if you learned anything about Whitaker from the two Romero fights, he'll fight her. He'll get through hairy situations. He's really kind of. I'm going to give your boy a compliment here. You know what the best thing about Prime Weidman was, even though he didn't beat. And by the way, I do think Whitaker is a better version of Prime, of Prime Weidman. But the best thing about Prime Weidman, even though I don't think he beat Anderson Silva twice, Anderson Silva lost, was that he was sort of warning track power good across the board in every single category. And when you add that together, you get somebody who's kind of unflappable and, and unshakable. And Prime Weidman, before that one mistake against Luke Rockhold at UFC 196 that turned his entire career around, he sort of had that going for him. 
not really a hole there. Not jump off the page spectacular, but not a hole there. And I think Whitaker is a better version of that, but he's even tougher potentially. And the reason, though, why I won't count out Gastelum is we know the wrestling's there, and we know he can be explosive at times. So there's a live dog element to there. Whitaker certainly, certainly should win. I think if there's any pressure on Whitaker, though, and maybe he doesn't feel this, you know, you, not, not all the fighters look at this the same way, but giving him a, a stay busy title defense in his home country kind of, I think, is UFC's t- way of testing out. Can he be a pay-per-view A-side? Let's find it out right here. Let's put him in a spot to win against an opponent he should beat in his home country. And the same night, we're going to build toward a future fight, whether it's Silva or Adesanya. I think this is a chance here to kind of see what they have in this guy. He's pound for pound critically loved, beloved, rated, and accepted. Has not made a commercial dent, though, in his couple times headlining pay-per-views. This seems to be a prop-up moment for him to see if he can do something. Yeah, I think they're giving him that push, like we were saying before, like you just said. To me, I think of him kind of like Tyron Woodley in that he has the very well-rounded skill set, and he's one of these dudes who has that computer brain who can see things before they happen, I think. But at the same time, he's not a great flashy talker. He's a good-looking dude, but he's not – I don't know. He just doesn't have that like commercial appeal yet. And I think, like you said, if he does go out there and put on that great show and he does win spectacularly, he might turn into that A-side that you were saying. I think that's what it's going to take, though, because I think if he grinds out a decision here and it's not really pretty, then they have to go back to the drawing board and figure out what's next. Because if not, if that's what happens, then Israel Adesanya is going to be the A-side for that title fight if they do get to that point. Well, They're going mean, to be pushing Israel, Israel, Israel all the way. Regardless, because of, of, of how flashy and, and how much potentially he brings to the table. But I, I don't think that's a wrong point you made on Whitaker. I think the best case scenario for Whitaker's commercial appeal is, like you said, you got to finish Gastelum, you got to look impressive, and then you need a manufactured moment of getting in Israel Adesanya's face, which I would assume UFC would do. Look, Australia's a hotbed. These fans get fired the hell up for things like this. We've seen it before. If you can get two two oceanic sons, if you will, two guys that have New Zealand-Australian roots there and, and put them together. And, of course, Adesanya, born in Africa, but spent some of his you know, main formative years, came to who he is in New Zealand. You got a chance there for Whitaker to get that bump. But we talked about this in the past offline. I don't think he gets the rocket pack promotion push from UFC until they find out that he actually can be Israel Adesanya. Because why would you? When, it, uh, when anyone on this card, the one we want to see the most is Israel Adesanya. And it's not just his in-cage theatrics, his incredible cockiness. It's on the mic. This guy's going to be a problem on the mic. A little bit for himself, I think, because he's controversial and he doesn't care. But, like, this guy's going to move stacks. I'm, I get Connor feels from this guy. Am I, am I crazy saying that? I think he is, in terms of mic skills... Like, maybe yes. not in his witty trash talk exactly the mirror image of him, but he gets it, dude. He really gets it. Yeah, I think that's a fair a fair uh, comparison. I think that his game is three times more well-rounded than Connor's was at this at his point in his career when Connor made the skyrocket jump like this. I think, yeah, I think he gets it. I think that if he does pull, if they do pull that manufactured move and he, he says something good, that's that's going to pop for people online, then that's what they need. They need him to have, like, 
I mean, as corny as it is, they need this to be a WWE moment where he's got something written down in the back before the fight or before the moment where he's like, this is what I'm going to say to Robert or Bobby Knuckles, as they call him, in the ring after the fight. Well, Israel's always going to have that ready. He's going to, he knows how to own a moment in front of the mic, mic, whether it's a side, uh, video, YouTube vlogger interview, or it's, you know, top, top prime moment. He's going to be fine. I think Whitaker just has to be Whitaker if they both get to this point, but let's pause and, ex- and appreciate what we're building to here. Like what this car, what UFC 234 is, yeah, it's a, it's a Melbourne, Australia party, but it's an opportunity to take a division that could use some, some flash and extra, extra hype and sex to it. And build up one of the better fights you can make in UFC in general. I'm talking about Whitaker out of Sanya. And even more, you got two guys right at the peak of their absolute prime where we as journalists and the UFC themselves may not know. Yeah, I think they know Adesanya, of course, would be a better marketable guy long term. But I don't even think even they know who would win. This is going to be one hell of a fight to decide the future of the division. And the fact that we got a chance to build toward it right here. I mean, you gotta be fired up coming here. And I think the Anderson Silva is just sort of this other elephant in the room, but a good elephant. Because like I mentioned about that, that sort of hedge bet, if he does the impossible here in a fight that for all intents and purposes, for many different reasons, he should lose and he should lose badly, then that, there's a lot of fun stories to write off of this. There's a lot of fun narratives and storylines to go. But if things go boring and as planned, it's not going to be boring. Whitaker out of Sanji is going to be hellfire to build towards. It's going to be fun. I'm going to be looking for that moment Saturday night when they do that fake in the cage WWE thing. And it matters this time because this ain't Brock in DC. Let's do it for the money. This is more about a fight that matters to find out who's next. In terms of fights that we want to see in 2019, this has to be top two, right? Uh, yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say at worst top three or four because uh, I mean the, there's the commercial love of a Jones uh, Cormier trilogy. There's Connor no. versus anyone, and then there's See, that's where I, I think you're wrong though because John, Jones DC we've seen it twice already. We have no idea what this even looks like yet. I think it's it's Khabib and Tony, and then this because and Connor everything versus else sex. You have to have Connor versus sex in that conversation because <laughs> what I mean by that is you put him against anyone like a GSP, like anyone you pull out of your back pocket, there's potential for that to suddenly be the fight I need to see the most, right? The only one that jumps out to me for that, I th- I want to say is Cowboy against McGregor no. because we haven't No. I'd rather see Connor versus Holloway, Connor versus Poirier, Connor versus Nate 3. I'd rather see a lot than Connor Cowboy. Connor Cowboy's fun. But Connor Cowboy has there's a means to an end in booking it. But some of those, but like you just said though, some of those fights we've already seen. I'm talking under about like different new cir- under much different circumstances, brother. <laughs> Come on now. I get that. I get it. I'm just saying in terms of styles and in terms of what we know about the fighters and what they looked like in the past. These are two guys that we've never seen step foot in the octagon against each other, and that's what I want to see new blood against each other. And this is to me the second best fight we can make in UFC this year. I'm not going to hate on that. It's such a fantastic fight. It gets you fired up. Uh, how do you think Whitaker Gastelum ends then? If you're going to back Bobby Knuckles, how's this thing going down on Saturday? I want to say I see him stalking the prey. He gives Gastelum a chance to, to come forward a little bit, but his counters and his head kicks are just going to be too much because I've been seeing those uh, gifs going around of the, the second fight with Romero. And my God, are his combinations insane. He goes jab, straight, head kick, and it's just Romero's flying around because he just can't keep up with the speed. So I think that's going to be the biggest thing is 
Whitaker is so damn fast when he's at his best, and he's going to be able to use that to his advantage. I think he finishes this probably in the third round TKO. He gets he he probably takes him down to the ground and ground and pound finish. Wow, wow. He can't handle your speed, son. Yeah, Freddie, tell him, tell him. Uh, you just reminded me, by the way, in that in that nice soliloquy, just how good Robert Whitaker really is, and he is, and that, that's the fun part about this. Look, Gaslam, I think his best chance is going to be to try to light him up with something explosive and big, you know, close that distance down and come with that big left hand, but Whitaker too sound. The the real debate for me is how tough is Gastelum here? Is he tough enough to go the distance? Five full rounds against a Robert Whitaker? I think he would need some form of diminished Whitaker to do that. Maybe uh, maybe being economical with his gas tank coming off of a 11-month layoff. I'm not really sure in this situation, but I think it's best to, to predict a stoppage here, and I kind of like wear him down, get the back, get the rear naked, because Whitaker's not flashy. He is kind of in some ways. I mean, look, you, you mentioned there's some insane combinations you could put together, and he's, and he's fast. But he's not spinning uh, Johnny Walker Red here type of uh, uh, kick you in the face type of thing. It's a little more of uh, playing it safe, get to the next step when he has to. He can deal with flashy people. He can deal with the old Romero with that freak strength and speed coming at him. But, yeah, he's going to win this fourth-round submission by my pick. We go into Adesanya Silva, and it's, like I said, the hardcore fans, and I was one of them, we went, what? Why? What? Wash Silva, why? No, fight legends, don't fight this guy. It's old school versus new school. It's in a lot of ways Silva, old Silva versus Silva 2.0 in Adesanya. My big question here, Wise, is this. We know why Anderson took it, because he says Dana White promised him a title shot. We know the knee-jerk reactions we have for a 43-year-old Anderson Silva who hasn't fought in two damn years, and he didn't even beat Derek Brunson in my eyes, and before that, he hasn't won since Stefan Bonner, which was a long-ass time ago. How the heck is he going to deal with prime, dangerous, dynamic Israel Adesanya? So my question, does Anderson Silva know something? Is this just all about a guy who probably shouldn't be in it in this spot, but he's just too competitive? And, he, and once Dana said the word title shot, he's not backing up. He's going forward. He's going to take the fight. Or is there a chance... He sees something we don't see in this. I mean, this is the same argument, conversation we're going to have, by the way, when Mikey Garcia moves up two weight classes in boxing coming up to face Errol Spence. Everybody's like, Garcia sees something. Garcia's also 28, all right? Like, this, this is, there's different levels to somebody seeing something. This is 43-year-old Wash Silva. What does he see here? I pray to God that you're right, that he does see something, because I have so many concerns about Anderson Silva in this fight. I... I can't believe – first of all, I can't believe we're, we're actually here and so far so good. We're going to have this fight, knock on wood. Um, I Yeah, I just want what's best for Anderson Silva, which is to not take a lot of damage in this fight, for Israel to finish him but to not do a ton of hurting to him, if that makes sense. Like just don't light him up on the head. Like we don't need to see Anderson Silva get more brain damage than he probably already has in this fight because – this just seems so unnecessary. Well, what's and more humane I, in your eyes? Is it more humane for Adesanya to – I don't know. Is it more humane for Adesanya to go for that flashy knockout and just end it early if he can? Not that I that, not that I think he's just going to be able to walk in and get a flashy knockout. I mean, look, there's going to be some uh, puzzle here he's going to have to solve, obviously. Anderson Silva's not dead. But is there a more humane way to finish a guy or, or is he going to screw up trying to get too humane? I mean, we've seen that happen to Pacquiao for the last decade. What I would love to see 
just because it would also show another part of of Adesanya's game is ground game. Take him down, get a submission because we've never seen him do it. I mean, dude, his MMA record is insane. He's had two decision fights in his career. Everything else he's won by knockout. Like he is a precision striker unlike almost unlike anything we've ever seen. And it's because he's brought the game that he saw from his, uh, from Anderson Silva when he was a kid. And if he can add a wrestling or a ground game to it and show it against Anderson Silva, then I hope he does because Anderson Silva does not need I, – I hope he doesn't need the money. I hope that's not why he de- decided to take this. But he just doesn't need to take any more punishment. He's done so much for this sport that he does not need to do this again. And I and I think if, if he's going to take punishment – do it in a fun, ridiculous matchup like GSP, the dream fight, like even Conor McGregor, the dream fight for me, or insert old guy's name, Nick Diaz again. You know what I mean? Like seriously, like there's 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 fights that provide an opportunity here. I get again why he's taking this because of the title and because he's so competitive and he's talking about wanting to f- extend his deal to another five fight deal and fight until he's in his late forties. Um, there's a place where you can do that. It's called the South Florida of MMA, and it's called Bellator. Rent the movie. It's called Cocoon. Please, Andy. Um, I hope he surprises us. I hope it is a harder puzzle to solve. I hope Adesanya's got to be on his best to pick apart, pick apart, pick apart, and then if he can get a stoppage, it comes off of the, one of those freakish strikes that hurts Silva but doesn't knock him cold, and then Adesanya jumps in with a flurry, and the referee's like, okay, i got to protect this old guy. Um, I really hope... Silva can pull round three like he did against Cormier with that body kick where suddenly you're like, oh, whoa, this old guy, what does he have here? I I would love one of those situations. There's love for Anderson Silva that I'm not even – I mean, can you name another – like BJ Penn keeps lingering, but I don't think people love BJ Penn like they love them, some Anderson Silva. Silva's got the Michael Jordan thing, you know? So, like, really, like Silva's got that, like – this free, like, like Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, like, he's just like, he's an artist, right? Like, there's just this, like, protection of fans, even as he's popping drug tests, even as he hasn't won in a, a fight cleanly, really, if to be honest, going back six, seven years. I, I just, I don't want to see a, uh, I don't want to see a death. I don't want to see Chuck, then, <laughs> I don't want to see, uh, Sugar, Rashad Evans, Chuck Liddell. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just don't, I just won't have the stomach for that. I hope we're in here next week talking about Anderson Silva's upset win over Israel Adesanya. Seriously, because that would mean to me that he survived whatever onslaught Adesanya was able to bring at him, and he bested it. He said, sit down, young man. This is how we still do things around here. All right, I would love that to be the, I mean, what I'd look, happened. I'd love a win there because you'd get him a title shot, and he would just – all right. Without having actually beaten one lately, I think he would be – more deserving of a of one more victory lap title shot at 43 than 46-year-old Dan Henderson was. So let's put that right out there, okay? That was a little bit extra ridiculous. Um, but I think there's a better scenario, and it doesn't actually involve an Anderson Silva win. How about Adesanya lights him up in the first two rounds, and Silva actually goes down, but he gets back up and he shows you the heart, and then he has a third uh, round rally. And he doesn't win the fight. But he earns Adesanya's respect, and he triples down on our respect, and he goes the damn distance, and you say to yourself, wow, and I want to see him fight again. That's the best-case scenario without spoiling 
the freshness of Adesanya. And maybe Adesanya going the distance, there's no way it wouldn't spoil it. But if if Silva pours out what's left in the jug for this fight, maybe it could. Maybe it could go that distance. Maybe we'll, we'll be talking here, Adesanya's not who we thought he was, but... I don't know. I don't know if he's going to show Anderson too much respect. There, like I said, there's a lot of interesting layers here. Adesanya's a big betting favorite. He should be. Everything Silva does, you think Adesanya does it better, more athletically. He's in his prime. He's 30 years old. Former kickboxing phenom. Maybe a couple veteran plays here for Silva, but he can't fight the full five minutes. We saw that against Bisping. That's what ultimately cost him in that, although he was in a five-round fight in that one for no reason. But this is three rounds. Empty the tank, Andy. Get to that finish line. Why am I calling him Andy? Thank you. I yeah. If I was a betting man, I would probably throw a few shekels on uh, Andy just for uh, entertainment purposes. Because why not? I mean, he's at what plus four fifty right now or four twenty five. Like that's gonna pay out pretty good if he does somehow pull this off. Yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad. When Anderson Silva walks into a room, you could hear a rat piss on cotton. Unnecessary, completely unnecessary. Um, the pick here, of course, is Adesanya to win, and the pick is by stoppage. So I'm going to go with third-round stoppage. I want to see Anderson get to that finish line, though. And I want to win. I want I want the best of all worlds. I also want Adesanya to come out of here with all of us going, this guy's a star. Some of that will come on the, on the microphone. Some of that will come in his mannerisms inside the cage and the dancing and how he sort of just owns the moment and takes it over. But like we just preached for uh, 20 minutes before this, when we build to Whitaker Adesanya after this, it's going to be better for everybody. It's going to be fantastic. I will. I will be. I will be feel. I will. I will be pitching tents. Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to take Adesanya by first round stoppage. I'm hoping this doesn't look like Yancy Medeiros and Donald Cerrone because where they're just hugging and laughing the whole time. But I just think Adesanya is just going to be too much for Anderson Silva. I think this. But what you were saying before is really great, and I think this is the perfect life cycle or circle of the middleweight division because you're you're spinning it back to what this middleweight division was before when you had young and hungry lions coming up trying to get Anderson Silva and nobody could do it and if Robert Whitaker goes out there and puts on the performance against Kelvin Gaslam and then he gets Israel Adesanya and he still beats Israel Adesanya you're looking at another dude who might be like having an Anderson Silva type run where he just goes out there and just completely wipes out another division it's got to make Dana White and company crazy excited when they think about who Israel Adesanya could end up being. In this era of wanting the next UFC superstar, I mean, this guy could be everything. He could fill all the all the categories. When I mean, really, when was the last time we've seen UFC stars of color at a at a crossover level? Have we? John Jones. Okay, John Jones, who UFC has really. At times, well, he's worked, he's at times he's worked hard to make himself a villain, but then UFC has also sort of doubled down at times in that. I mean, there were guys, Rampage Jackson had a moment, but you don't see that a lot. When you add in the international flavor of what Israel Adesada brings, how close he is in terms of culture wise to, to growing up in Nigeria, and then you mix in how well received he is in that Australian New Zealand bubble. This guy could be an international superstar, an international man of mystery. This will be fun to watch. And, dude, can this guy talk? He fills every minute of an interview with thoughtful stuff, and he's not afraid to talk trash. He's not afraid to be inappropriate. He, he could really own. This could be a season, an era, if you will. I mean, a damn era. Welcome to 
of the Machida era. No, an actual era that matters. This could be it. It's time. If he gets that silver rub and he takes out Bobby Knuckles, we are looking at the next big thing. Yeah, I completely agree with it, and I really hope that that's what we're talking about next Monday when we come back to this podcast. Yes, and that'll do it for another episode of the State of Combat MMA show. Hey, check out our bonus pod this week. A lot of sound, a lot of talk. You heard that breakdown of UFC 234. You're going to hear from the big participants, the names, Silva, Adesanya, Gastelum, and Whitaker. Check it out. Don't be lame. Five-star reviews. Do all that good stuff. Wise, you got any uh, messages for your fans, for the people? Uh, we should, we're, we're printing Brandon Wise t-shirts at the moment with your catchphrases on it. Uh, try, we're, we're making this dream come true. Are we going to get some DM slides next week? Yeah, it's time. It's time. Slide into our DMs at B Campbell CBS at Brandon Wise 65. Questions, concerns, comments, bring it right here. Let your voice be heard. But without any further ado, Wise, it's time to say goodbye. We out.